Would you like to reach our film and TV review podcast audience? Do you have a product or service of interest to film and TV home consumers or followers of the entertainment industry? Have a film or show production to publicize? For affordable price plans for all budgets, get in touch and find out about our introductory advertising options. Reach our audience of film and TV viewers and visit our site contact page at filmandtvreview.com, or you can email us at business at filmandtvreview.com. Reach out today. Welcome to filmandtvreview.com. Catch the latest film, TV and streamed show reviews every week. The views and opinions expressed by the authors and those providing comments are theirs alone. They do not reflect the views, opinions or position of film and tvreview.com or their respective parent companies or affiliates. Film and tvreview.com makes no representations as to accuracy, completeness, correctness, suitability, or validity of any information in this program and is for entertainment purposes only. Episodes may contain adult humor and language. For full terms and conditions see filmandtvreview.com. Hello there, and welcome to this TV review special. It is, and today we're covering probably the 60th anniversary and the phenomena that is Doctor Who, very much a British institution for those listening around the world. So, of course, it's an opportunity to do a nice retrospective look at uh, 60 years of, of this long-running sci-fi series. Um, it's uh, all available, I think, on, definitely in the UK on BBC iPlayer for the next year or so, all the incarnations of the Doctor, but uh, it's starting in 1963. I'm joined by uh, James today, and a, another, when I say a Doctor Who expert, almost, but I, if you've grown up in this country, you kind of, like, it's been part of your childhood in and out anyway, by default. Hello, uh, James, well, thank you for joining me. Um, so, 60 years, what is, I think, for those who really... Like I said, it's quite a bit of a British institution, but it has grown into worldwide appeal. Yes. Well, but for a starting guy, what is or who is Doctor, Doctor Who? Well, I, I wonder if it's you, Jason, because obviously people can't see this, but you look like you've turned up in like an audition outfit to, yeah. to this is who your doctor's going to be. I'm very time. much in an Eccleston minimalist uh, cashmere jumper. But Doctor Who is an alien from the planet Gallifrey. He has two hearts. He has run away from uh, Gallifrey in a stolen spaceship, which is the TARDIS. It stands for Time and Relative Dimension in Space. And it can assimilate, when it lands in anywhere in time and space, it assimilates the uh, an item from that world so that it, it disguises itself and nobody knows that it's a spaceship. However, in the first episode, largely due to BBC budgetary restrictions in the day 
uh, it lands as a police box and then gets stuck like that because the chameleon circuit is broken. And because the because the doctor kind of likes the vibe of the the 1960s police box, which we don't have in the UK anymore. I think there might be some in London that they've sort of left for sentimental reasons, oh, yeah, probably yeah. owing to this show. Um, he never he never fixes the comedian circuit. Sometimes people say that you can change it. Um, and I think in one of the Colin Baker, one, Baker ones, he in, indeed does. But generally, he 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 uh, goes around in the police box. When we meet him in 1963, he is travelling with his granddaughter. Um, and she does eventually leave the show. Um, he he goes off with her um, her school teachers as well, takes those with him uh, to the far future and to the past, to, and then they travel with him for a bit. And as he goes amongst his his uh, journeys, he picks up different companions. It sounds a little bit dodgier than it is, but he he will travel with them maybe for two or three years, and then they they move on that way. And he he sort of seems to sort of just have a sort of peculiar relationship with the human race. When we meet him, he doesn't seem that enthralled with humans, but he seems to warm to them over the 60 years and seems to get involved in a lot of their life and death shenanigans. That was a bit of a longer summary than I thought, but I think it sums it up. Well, well. yeah. Well, it's, 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 oh, well done on that, but it's, it's, um, yeah, like I said, I've been revisiting these Hmm. older episodes and I, of course, been watching, I mean, of course, the first incarnation of the Doctor and it's William Hartnell. Um, it is very, um, yeah, like you say, it's a very more of a colder character, very matter of factly, kind of like a more the sense of the adventure at the expense of his companion just happening there. I know it's one of them is his granddaughter, but it's uh, almost the start. I think the premise was is an educational show for kids about let's learn about history and let's, which was. Educational. Why we put this one into the budget, and it does that, but it 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 quite quickly started into quite interesting. If you think about it, it's quite a good vehicle for concepts and about you know preconceived notions and all that. And um, you could say it's ahead of its time, but it's just a very flexible format. Um, Well, the the BBC in its sort of remit, its mission statement is to inform, educate, and entertain. Mm -hmm. So this this would have been devised almost on though that basis. So certainly when you're going into the future, you're talking about very entertaining things, spaceships and monsters. But there is often, you know, with all good sci-fi, there's a parallel to to the real world as well. And there might be a social issue they're talking about. You've also got the historical aspect where you can go back and then make use of the BBC's um, very good sort of uh, wardrobe department and all the the things that they do for that. And that, I think, was very much the idea as well that you could go and do that although there is a, a definitely sort of um, a mythology that goes throughout the show i think particularly in the classic years as it was called so the original run from 1963 to 89 you've got stories that do kind of stand alone it is almost like an episodic um you know like you used to have play for the is it play for the day or something and they they just do a one-off thing you've got these stories that could almost stand alone but you've got these characters that weave it and you don't really have to know that much about the characters particularly in the classic era they've just turned up they're in the middle of this and now we're in the roman empire or now we're on scaro the planet of the daleks you know and you've just got a a um the sense that the, the doctors lands there 
the story plays out and then he goes at the end. There was never really a sense, particularly in those days, just because it would have been very complicated of him messing with the laws of time. You know, once he's there, he would see the story out for three, four, six episodes and then fly off somewhere else. And it kept that sort of linear nature of the show um, once you're in the story. Which is a format I kind of miss when you're looking back at it. It's kind of like... Yeah. You you can it's actually quite good for the you know, era of streaming where you can just pick up maybe two or three episodes and your story is done. While yeah. now obviously you've got seasons one, two, and three of any show, and you think, oh, how can I pick this up? I'm gonna have to go back to the beginning. But it's very really just pick it up, like revisiting all these um, episodes for the last past sixty years. Honestly, you can pick your doctor and then watch it and then two or three episodes and get the flavor of it and think, yeah, I really dig this. And, um, but I, th- I think everyone gravitates to maybe the Doctor that they grew up with um, quite a few generations, you know, from um, even now, if you're talking about David Tennant, people have grown up with him because it's been, been a while. But we're stretching back to 1963, so your your parents would know their Doctor and, you know, your brother and your sisters and all that. But, but I mean, for yourself, what was the kind of era or the Doctor that really kind of like resonated with you or, you, or, or you've been revisiting recently? Well, I've tried to revisit one of one of each Doctor. Um, my first, I was trying to think what my first experience of Doctor Who was, and I think what it was is my nan bought me a calendar, which she got with like one of the tabloid Sunday papers probably, and it was a different picture from... Doctor Who, maybe it was a 20th anniversary or something. And I think it, it was up to Colin Baker at that point. So basically, I just had these pictures of these guys, like on January, it would be a picture of a doctor. And that's fine. It's just a handsome guy in a handsome suit. Fine. The next one would be a monster that would absolutely terrify me because I've not seen the show. I remember the Yeti being on there and just being absolutely terrified by this image. And it was on my bedroom wall. And that was was what I had, you know. Um but I did start watching it in the Colin Bacon. It Baker. I keep saying Bacon. Why do I do that? Am I thinking <laughs> Kevin Bacon. I think it sounds like Kevin Bacon. That's why Colin. <laughs> and that would be easier because obviously there's been two Bakers that have played played the Doctor, and Colin is the yes. the least the lesser famous of them. Bless him. Um, but we were. Uh, I I remember watching the character of Sill, who um, is like a sort of um, bug like creature. And he's a villain. And he's in an episode called This is where I'm gonna forget. Um well he's in he's in two two stories. So I may have actually seen him in Trial of a Time Lord, which is a very very long one. But I do remember watching Seal and thinking that's a really unusual thing. I've not seen that effect. And it's very good actually. It still holds up um now, the the suit and everything. So Colin Baker was the doctor, and I remember very much loving the kind of cliffhangers at the end of each episode so you get half hour episode and an ending which looked like the main character or the companion was about to die literally about to die or was dead in some cases and then you'd watch the next week to see how how they got out of that and then although i wasn't a massive fan at that point when i do remember it regenerate um regenerating into sylvester mccoy and i think a lot of people say this hating the fact that it was a different actor because I didn't like the change. But then Sylvester McCoy was my doctor. So when I was sort of like seven to nine, he he was my doctor. And I was in a, a gang at school. Or there was a there was a little gang at school. We didn't do anything terrible, but we were just in a little gang. And the idea of if you were 
hard enough to be in this gang, you'd stayed up and watched Doctor Who because that was the <laughs> scariest thing you could watch wow. as a seven-year-old. And I remember the end of Time and the Rani, which is not a particularly well thought of um, episode, but it's the first one that Sylvester McCoy's in. The ending absolutely petrified me, where these there's this weird ball of energy, which is if you get involved, if you get sucked in this ball of energy, it goes up to the cliff tops and explodes, and then your your dead skeleton falls down to the the floor. And that happens to someone early on in the episode. And then Mel, the companion uh, played by Bonnie Langford, who is actually going to return to the show in the fifteenth uh, with the fifteenth Doctor, um, she gets trapped in this ball at the, the end and starts going up. And I was like, "Well, this she's going to die. She's going to die." And I remember really being terrified by those cliffhangers, but also loving them. My mum would sort of go, "Well, you're not watching that again." I'd be like, "No, I've got to watch it again because I want to know what happens." Um, I think that was really the era that I got got into it. That what was, about you? Was it a bit later yeah. for you? Well, I, I think actually I kind of went a bit ahead of behind. Well, in, just before my time, I kind of going into the doctor was because you had you, you hadn't even seen the episode, but there was this just strong iconography of the other Baker, Tom Baker, and I think yes. that's what really put it onto the map in the US as well. Even though yeah. there was no like this World Service or maybe back then, but it kind of really translated because. He had a quite a long run, which was about seven mm. years, and it was the longest run, I think. He must I think be, so. Yeah. I think so. And he was, I think, on the back of like John Perry, who proved quite a, let's say, the dandy doctor. Let's say I can say that phrase because it's one of his mm. own incarnations does refer to him as the dandy, but it is uh, very much of the. So John Perry was more of the era of the seventies because I've been rewatching it, and you can just see the the change in time and tone and what your heroes are dressing up is. But uh, he was replaced, obviously, by uh, Tom Baker. But there is a immediate charisma and otherworldliness. I mean, if yeah. you're going to portray an alien, but someone affable and quirky and knowledgeable and all these many, many traits, I, I've got to say credit to Tom Baker is that one that personified that. And it just... So I kind of discovered him after his run, ironically, it's kind of like, yeah. but it was like, you knew there was something just so fascinating about it. And there's just a glee in his performance, but you have some very dark stories. I mean, the strengths of the BBC series, I think, for Doctor has been his production design. I think you didn't need to really push onto the effects so much because you had such a great costume department, of course, huge um, costume dramas or in BBC on that budget and this used it really well because you have so many historical dramas or Victorian era dramas and the costumes are absolutely phenomenal um, for, so that's basically the special effect yes for Tom Baker for me um, that's when the huge merchandising took off it's the canine and everything like that um, to get a grip on the whole era, I was kind of me just personally visit, revisiting the when they do their kind of like periodic anniversary where maybe all the doctors would meet in to to face a common foe. So I did actually, in a kind of way leading up to this 60th, I did watch the three doctors. I think that's yeah, we Pat uh, Troughton and and Hartnell, and it's um, it's um, them against usually one of their own in-universe um, 
Gallifrey and Time Lords, or one of their masters. They're always kind of like their biggest foe is basically their own race because they have such Northern mastery over over um, time and space. So it's always in turn it tends to always internal politics, but they uh, looking at their own value system. But it's a great you know before the age of Marvel where you had these all big crossovers. It it yeah. kind of almost started there where you had these big crossover of the previous incarnations in a kind of a team up. So um I did see the three doctors. That was pretty pretty good. I gotta say it was it pretty exciting as a kid to watch that. And then I did move on to I think five doctors and so forth and then we had fifty anniversary. But it's a good it's a good look at the whole how each actor's put their own imprint. Because it's one of those concepts that's given its longevity is because it's how do you replace a leading role and you exactly. just have this concept that he regenerates and that's why we've had this whole yeah. era and they put their own imprint on it based on the time they're in and when it was made um and, and this is kind of accidental isn't it because um william hartnell out of the original four actors that you have on the show william hartnell is is the last person standing so the companions leave first susan leaves first then ian and barbara the, the school teachers um and hartnell has new companions and you get and there's certain episodes where i watched for hartnell uh dalek well i watched the colorized daleks episode which um, maybe we talk about at the end when we talk about the 60th anniversary celebrations. But I watched Dalek Invasion of Earth. Both of those stories were turned into films with Peter Cushing, um, sort of adapted. Um, but he's not in one of those episodes um, because he'd injured his back in, during the filming of the previous week's episode. And the thing is about this, although they were recorded, they were sort of done like live TV. So unless something major went wrong, that had to be reset or they had to have an edit point. It was done like live TV with cuts in camera at the time, which is why there's so many line fluffs um, uh, and, uh, you know, Daleks banging in scenery because that, that was standard for the time, like live TV. But because this has always sort of gone back and forth, I think, between pushing the boundaries of what you can do and then because of the way that it's funded, struggling for a bit of money, and then maybe getting a little bit better and struggling for a bit of money. And it, it goes back and forth. I think in the 60s, it, it's kind of making the most of we can do this on in black and white. We can do this in studio. We've got all these sets. And, and it's kind of quite, quite good for its time, you know. But when Hartnell gets, gets iller and iller, it comes back for series four. And he's... He's in the final story that he does the tenth planet. He's not in the third episode because he's too ill to to appear. So they have to do a last minute rewrite, and then he he falls down very ill at the end of the tenth planet, and his face glows and he turns into Patrick Troughton. And the point is, I suppose, is that they didn't. There was no point in recasting for somebody of the same age because you'd have you could conceivably have the same problem again. I mean, when it started, they didn't realize it would be the hit. That it was Dalek Mania in the 60s was a big thing. And suddenly they've got a, a huge show that's run for three years. As no, doesn't look like it's going to stop, but the actor's getting very old. He was old to start with. So they go the other way and go, right, let's go for a younger guy. Let's get Patrick Troughton in. And he kind of plays it completely differently. He, he feels in the same role in the drama, but he, he's much more playful. He plays the flute and he's, he's more animated. So he's running 
doing a lot more of the running that Doctor Who's famous for that William Hartnell couldn't do. And that continues with each regeneration that they then go for for someone deliberately each time that hasn't been like that. Well, should probably say as well that a lot of the 60s stuff doesn't exist. So Troughton's one that I, I haven't really watched that much of because not much of it exists. And apparently only a third of his stories exist in their entirety because at the time, you know, it was just keeping film. Film was a big thing back then. And the BBC didn't really understand that once they'd shown it once and then repeated it, that there would be a, they had no concept there would be a home video market or UK gold or anything like that. So they just ditched episodes and some of them may exist out there. We might find more. Apparently the, the only footage of that regeneration from uh, Patrick Troughton from William Hartnell only existed yeah. because they put it on loan to Blue Peach at the time. And the BBC had wiped their originals. BBC, yeah. the Blue Peter actually said, oh, we still got ours. So I said, oh, could we, could we, could we, could we have it back? So it's, it's, but I mean, credit to um, Patrick Charlton for actually, I mean, because it really rides on him whether it, it continues or not. It's that, it's that massive, it's that audience acceptance or not. And I think because he bridges yeah. it so well, I mean, he's, he's younger, but he's still kind of that kind of like playful older gentleman. And it, it kind of like, without him, you were that bridge, then you wouldn't know if the audience were able to accept it or accept him and i think the other key key for that is that you you have the same companions that you manage to see that through the eyes of them so the first episode is them going we don't accept that this guy is the doctor and that really helps the audience because the audience are in the same place i think and that hasn't been the same for every regeneration so Throughout the 60s, it's all um, in black and white and it's going off to alien planets and things. Once you get to the 70s, it, it goes into colour and you get John Pertwee. But the end of the War Games, the last Troughton episode, he regenerates, but you don't see what into. And the next one in the 70s in colour starts Spearhead from Space with John Pertwee falling out of the TARDIS, which has crash landed. And there is then also the conceit that he is, or the, the sort of plot idea is um, that he, I can't remember the reason actually now, but he he's earthbound now, so the the TARDIS doesn't work. I think yeah, oh, they, at the end they, of the War Games, they've uh, they, they he's been on him, trial. They with, restricted him, not for budgetary reasons. No, messed, no, no, no. But the time, the Gallifreyan tunnels are restricted to this only Earth, and then he becomes the kind of their special agent of the yes. kind of like. So he's working for unit at this point. And this is a way of cleverly, this is again, a budgetary thing that they can't afford to, or they don't feel comfortable enough to go and do these things in color. And it's not going to look great. I don't know if there was maybe budgetary cuts at the time, but they go, well, we can do this earth based and we can make this work. And he's kind of much more of that sort of, you know, there was a UK Avengers, wasn't there? There was those kind of shows like, um, with honor blackman and stuff he's kind of like that he's a little bit bondy isn't he yes. the um the, the john pertwee doctor it's kind of being suave driving around in Be- is it betty his his it's, car uh, and betsy being... or yes betsy, and betsy, he's yeah. uh, got his gadgets he loves his gadgets he's kind of bondish and he's got his kind of velvet uh jacket well uh just driving yeah. around and all around the military base because they, he's there he's kind of their advisor um, you know, yes. So, um, but uh, and with a sideline in Martian judo, which he at every opportunity he brings out. The floor, yes. Which is quite funny. So he he's he's a bit more of an action star. And he's again, very much it's, an action, it's, karate it's, it's, action. Okay. Yes, yeah. Um, and I th- 
I actually saw a lot of Pertwee growing up, and I, I couldn't quite work out why I'd seen so much of him and not Baker. And I'd seen a lot of um, Hartnell on UK Gold. I think, though, they certainly were used to repeat it on BBC One and Two. I think at the point it was axed in 1989, they yeah. probably thought there's still a fan base. Let's start rerunning these, but we don't want to rerun the black and white ones yeah. because they're black and white and a lot of them don't exist. We'll start with Pertwee and they were probably planning on continuing that. So I used to watch this quite religiously, really. And they probably just never got to Tom Baker. Maybe the repeat ratings weren't good enough or, or whatever. But I remember distinctly watching, and I think maybe at that point, some of the Pertwee ones were lost. They're all rec- recovered now. But I remember watching a lot of Pertwee back in the day. And then you get Sarah Jane Smith, um, the companion that links him and uh, Tom Baker as well, who's a very well... I did um, watch the bridge episode between them when they... Because I was yeah. trying to focus on the regeneration part. Because I thought it was yes, yeah. both worlds. So I did see... I, again, it's this huge amount of rubber spiders which seem to plague the Doctor <laughs> in every single arcade Asian up until now. But there it was a lot of... But, I mean, it almost plays like a little horror like a little dramatic horror show like another said like tales of the unexpected which is people that even would know what that refers to but it is a very much a talking spiders people under control mind control again a lot of tension and and for a small child it, it is that's why he got his reputation yeah. of hiding behind the sofa because it's played like a drama by very very suspenseful drama, very dark drama. And I mean, when we go into it later, but Doctor Who, he did, did even get into trouble about some some aspects. Um, I think yeah. even, well, we're going with Tom Baker, I think there was a, an episode where, on a cliffhanger, where yes, he yeah, drowned um, under yeah. the water and then it froze on that. And then people, or well, kids, will have to wait for a week because they just saw him being drowned in water. This is probably why in the UK that we had a um, campaigner, Mary Whitehouse, who actually... Yeah, she was not happy about that episode. And she was, maybe she was a bit of the bane of, of BBC or, or any kind of like... But I think maybe on this she had the right call, as in you can't have kids being traumatised for a week, seeing the hero being drowned for a week, and you, you've got to have some kind of limitations or kind of, kind of curfew on what you're doing, which is probably the right call in that one. But it did... Go in some really dark places. If you, saw I, I've always kind of liked as well. I mean, as I've got older, I, I do like kind of crazy sci-fi, and I like big fancy. You know, I'm, I'm more into that stuff. You know, but when I was younger, I really needed everything to be have some grounding. So I think actually the Pertwee stuff and and the McCoy stuff, which maybe that was because of budgets, yeah, that really worked for me because I was in a world that I I recognised. But there were these fantastical elements. So there were things that you could almost, as a kid as well, imagine that happening. So things that they did, which on one hand, I can see how they're quite inventive. And on the other hand, I can I can see how they're possibly irresponsible. But one of the things you had in Pertwee's era, and it come back for the first Eccleston story, is the Autons. Now, the Autons were shop dummies, mannequins, essentially, that just come to life and start shooting people. And I think particularly in the second Pertwee appearance, they shot a police officer. And I think that was the thing that that was one of the issues where someone said they shouldn't be shooting police officers. Or I think a police officer turned out to be an auton or something. So people were saying, well, we want people to, you know, children to trust the police. We don't want them to think they're (laughs) going to rip them. (laughs) 
rip their faces off and be be monsters. Yes. But it really helped, I think, um, some of that stuff. A lot of it's set in English villages as well. I definitely had on VHS back in the day, Terror of the Autons, and I need to go back and rewatch that because I will probably remember it so vividly when I watch it. And the demons as well, which was like, there was this weird sort of demon monster. It was probably a big paper mache thing. And then there was a guy, a little bit like the Weeping Angels, actually, that you think he's a statue and then keeps running around and and turning into this sort of like demon thing with it, its mouth sticking out. But I remember it just being very creepy. But again, kind of kind of loving it. And although it, there is something about it being scary, and particularly maybe an argument for the cliffhangers, there are lines about that in the Russell T. Davis era. I think there's one called Tooth and Claw with, I think it's David Tennant's second story. And it's quite intense. There's like a, a werewolf transformation scene in that. But Queen Victoria says something about, oh, uh, stories, horror stories are good for the blood. She says they they sort of give you a fright and they give you the same. And it, I think that is the appeal. that Some people just don't watch horror, do they? And I'm very aware of this, that I've got friends who love film and TV, but they don't watch horror. And so I just don't don't recommend them any horror ever. Even if I see something that I think is quite mild, I know they're not going to watch it. I mean, um, horror genre but, did kind of like fit into the UK because we had the Hammer House and all that. It kind yeah, of fit yeah. within our budget range. A lot of drawing rooms and acting of kind of like very specific. So it kind of fit. I mean, in that era, it it fit a great good TV budget and it played to our strengths. It's almost like the more the greater the budget, the less the more removed it is from the familiar Doctor Who concept mm. and format that we kind of like. Almost. But yeah, we'll about that bit, really. but I I think the appeal of horror though is kind of like it it sort of similar to like the appeal of comedy in a way, or maybe it's the opposite of that. You know that you've got a release and it's a happy release, mm. but almost confronting some fears and thinking maybe it's not as bad as that you know it sort of does get the the blood pumping in the way that a really good action movie does or something and i think even at a young age you do recognize that you like like i say i was always terrified i'd always have nightmares i didn't hide behind the sofa because that would involve pulling the sofa out from the wall but i would always be terrified and i'd always want to watch it again next week and that that was was just the deal but um i think you're right that we then get to tom baker who is for many people, I think if you say Doctor Who, that's the first person that they think of. And he's also the only classic actor to come back in the 50th anniversary. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think I mean, they... His iconography is actually, I mean, even in The Simpsons, they kind of like, they was, it's the yeah. long scarf, it's the, it's, the long, it's the hat and then the long coat. And even if you've never seen Doctor Who, well, who is that? But then, oh, that's Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it's, yeah, it, it is that... Um, complete icon but i mean i i mean well i'll just have to talk, of course there was peter davis took over from tom baker so i'm getting reflective of that era i mean it was a he didn't really he was more of a bland one i mean considering that big shadow of you know tom baker but it, it, it does seem strange i mean i love i think peter davison's a great actor and he 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 was big in all creatures great and small yeah, because sure. the, um I was sort of watching a thing called um Tales no not Tales of the Time the, the 60th anniversary documentary which is just looking at the classic era doctors and I forgot that he was on that and then got cast as Doctor Who. In a way it seems like he's not he's not eccentric enough, but I suppose in in the shadow of Tom Baker, if you want to go the opposite, yeah, 
Peter Davison is the opposite to to what just come before. I think I never really watched um, Peter Davison because at the point it was Colin Baker, he was the old Doctor. So actually, I've probably seen even less of of Peter Davison growing up than I had of Tom Baker. He does have a very good episode um, or story called Earthshock, though, which is the Cybermen. The Cybermen now speak like Darth Vader because it's 1985 and, you know, Star Wars, the original trilogy has just come out. And and that's kind of odd. But the, the new design is is fantastic. I think it, it debuted under Tom Baker. But that story ends with the quite a rare occurrence of a, the death of a companion and sort of a, a final black screen. And I think that was at the as a result of there being too many companions, they decided they had three and it was too much, so they decided to kill Adrian one. Adrian or something, yes. Adric, Adric. Very, yeah. very, very solemn. And I think, I think yes. it was a Cyberman, yeah. spoilers, they're allergic to gold. Apparently, or gold dust, and I think they get. I, I think that it kind of like ends that way, or he, he sacrifices himself to, um, to save the the day. But companion, yeah, completely lost. Uh, I did remember that I think when it came to the end of his run, he, the, another sad episode. I think it's the, the caves of again. I think it well, was it's army, Yes, of course. Yeah, and I think he he has to save his companion, but he has to get this antidote. But he only got one antidote. He's been poisoned, so he gives it to the companion. And I think it ends with his last words is the name of the companion he lost, which is very touching, as in kind of holds on to that memory. The ones he lost is like, you know. And that, he, that story, I think, was voted when there was 200 episodes, that was voted the best, certainly classic story of all time. It might have even been the, the overall one at that point. Um, very touching. It's a really well, well considered one. I, I rewatched this and I thought as well it was quite grown up like people are getting obviously it's not blood and things but people are getting shot with proper machine guns with blankets yeah. in and stuff and and that ends on a, a, a cliffhanger where you think that the fifth doctor has just been murdered and perry have both been murdered by a machine gun it then turns out they are clones so we are doing spoilers in this sorry of course but um but it, it there's something about just the general tone and the kind of detail and the plot stuff and the acting where it yeah, it really feels like oh yeah, this is this is coming just after sort of 2000 AD and all those British comics, and it feels like it's maybe got a bit of that has been absorbed into it, and maybe the the people who've grown up with it at this point, it's about 20 years old. To keep them interested, they've made it a bit more grown up. You the, the argument is then that you lose the children, and they're not watching it because I, it, it's a bit of a grown up thing. But I, I thought it was a really impressive story it obviously looks dated it obviously looks at his time and i think in the 80s as well it's starting to not be able to keep up with these big things like the big spielberg films you know indiana jones films star wars particularly back to the future even by 1985 that suddenly this budget just isn't cutting it and i think that's a big part of why it does get axed in 1989. I don't think that really gets emphasized enough. I think it was the, I think, and I think it was Lou Grade because he goes on record saying he really did not, I think he'd actually worked on some American shows and he was, uh, he was, then he became a controller of BBC and he worked on, yeah, TV networks. So he was, he said he was just actually embarrassed by Doctor Who series, <laughs> especially you know, on the back of all these, when you've got, all these big movies, you've got the Spielberg movies, you've got the Star Wars movies, and then you've got this, and we just did not have the budget 
to really match this on any level, and it looks embarrassing, you know. Uh, so that's why he kind of, they kind of quietly just put it to bed. They didn't say, I think they tried to say it ends, but then there was such a public art war, they quietly just said, he will return at some point in the future, but they basically have put it to bed. Well, this is the weird thing. For the first time since they had to um, recast mid mid series with Hartnell, that the case of Androzani is the second from last story of that season. I think is season twenty one. I'm not sure. I can't remember now. But the the final story of that season is the twin dilemma with Colin Baker, and so case of Androzani, he he regenerates into Colin Baker. In that list of 200, Cave of, Cave of Androzani was the, the most popular story and The Twin Dilemma was the least popular story. So that's not a great way to start start your run. But you, you can't help but feel sorry for Colin Baker because he's coming at a point where he then does one series, I think, and then they try and axe it. And they do axe it, I think, for a year. Or or they, yeah. they bring it back and then there's there's certain restrictions on it because they do the Trial of a Time Lord series. So the whole season is one big story where the the Doctor's on, on trial. And then it goes off again for a little while. And then they say, if we're going to bring it back, we're going to recast as well. And Colin Baker wanted to do a, fu- a third and final series or yeah. maybe even more. Um, so he doesn't come back for... Um, the regeneration scene, the start of time in the Rani is Sylvester McCoy in a blonde wig and they turn him over and then sort of do some, some, some face stuff on that. I mean, the, the budget thing growing up again, my, my memory is just to being terrified of the show, but I think when it comes back with Sylvester McCoy, it, there are a lot more earth-based stories. And I think particularly in the last one, survival, that's really to me, symbolises the problems with the show now because the script is really, really good. And I think the cast really good. And the effects are just terrible. They just can't they make... Can't they just up. don't have the money. But the the seeds of the reboot... I mean, obviously, there's, a, there's an attempt to reboot it in America that we'll talk about as well. But the seeds of what Russell T. Davis done are kind of set, I think, in those particularly the last two McCoy series that you've got the character of Ace now played by Sophie Aldred and she's very much like a, a sort of streetwise kid. Yeah. She's got, you know, a lot of the Doctor's companions up to this point, even Bonnie Langford, who's a really good actress, the character is not written as a 3D character and she does a lot of screaming. I'm sure they will um, correct that in the, the upcoming series and make her a more rounded act, uh, character because she's a really good actress. Um but with Sophie Aldred's ace, they really make her almost like the focus of it. They make Sylvester McCoy a lot more, a lot darker and a lot more sinister. Um, like he yeah, might be hiding like something from us. It, it just reminds me, as you mentioned, it just reminds me of the kind of like the character and the companion relationship that we got in the Chris Eckerson and the Matt Smith, where he's kind of like, well, she calls him Professor in this one, but he's just kind of more street vibes. Yeah. Right? I and love he's, that. He's, he's, he's kind of, yeah, it's kind of. It, and they yeah, describe he, it as like he's a, he's an uncle. It's very much like an yes. uncle um, uncle niece relationship, which actually it starts with the grand grandfather um, granddaughter yeah, sort of relationship. Actually, yeah. So it, there is something he's got a very. I still think he's really underrated. I think I've even heard things where he sort of puts himself down, but I think he's got a real. Um, he's got the eccentricity there, 
but he's also and he's got the props, the the um umbrella. I used to love walking around with an umbrella as a kid, thinking I was Doctor Who. Apparently, the hat was his idea. He just turned up with the hat, and they went, "I'll keep that." Um, he used to have this. It, it is iconic, but he, he used to have like all these question marks on it on his blazer. I think he said he didn't want that, but they forced him into it. And then he's got darker um darker coat in the final season, which really suits. But you've got um a lot of Earth based stories as well and yeah. this companion that's a much more rounded streetwise character and i think when you look at what they did with eccleston and, and billy piper you can really see that they took that and went this is the way to kind of make yeah. this work if we're going to make this work but in the meantime we get um it goes off air the, the adventures continue in comic and strip form finish. for for many years and and the new adventures a new companion bernie summerfield was written into the the novels and the comics and i think big finish later actually adapted or, or wrote from scratch what was intended to be the final bbc season the 1990 season they developed those into audio dramas but in 1996 we get a well an attempt at a reboot it's always a called reboot. the the movie now the, mov the tv, TV movie, movie. But it was a US co it was a co-pilot with the US. And the idea was the X-Files is massive. Let's co-fund this with the US. The BBC get the say on the doctor, the casting of the doctor, and it'll be an Englishman and it'll be um or Brit a British actor, and they go for Paul McGann, which is a brilliant, brilliant choice. Um and then the wrong? show is gonna be quite American. You you don't like Paul McGann, no. I got to say, um, he's just done us there's nothing wrong with him in that i i i think that whole that tv movie it's like someone you has it. just been given the first three lines of what the concept of doctor who is and that's all you've got to go on <laughs> yeah, you've got to make yeah. a movie about this okay we'll do that it's, it's you, you are right do you know what i used to be a lot harsher on this i think going back to it because i had it taped off the telly back in the day and then i bought it when it came out and i watched it so many times that i rewatched it and now Going, oh, it's okay because this was a blip, and then we got we got it back. I mean, there's things in it. It's very much of its time, isn't it? So there's a lot of bad wannabe T1000 special effects of that liquid metal effect that everybody did, even when it doesn't make sense in there. Um, like, and then, like I said to you, Eric Roberts is just playing the Terminator at one point. Hardest working got actor black in the jacket. He yeah. even knocks on the window. <laughs> uh, I know it's in a hospital, but it looks like he's doing that scene. And and it's quite gory as well in places. It yeah. was actually cut by the... There was some really weird thing, like the BBFC, they wanted a 12 certificate, then the BBFC said it must be, you've got to cut it for a 12. And then there was some legality, I seem to remember, that they said you can't broadcast that, the uncut version, and then release the, the cut version. It has to be the same. And they had to broadcast the cut version. That's the version that's on iPlayer as well. It's, it's cut, oh. so when... Bruce, uh, played by um, Eric Roberts, he breaks people's necks. You don't really see it. He he puts his hand up and then they fall to the floor. But there was a lot of kind of gory stuff. There was a lot of gory stuff with um, Sylvester McCoy's character dying. And there's like a big motorcycle chase and stuff. It, it, but it feels like those those sort of well well budgeted nineties TV shows that were a bit rubbish. It's like mm -hmm. trying so hard to be cool. That's what really kind <laughs> of goes up a crazy. Like, hey, I'm sexy and cool. And will they? Won't they? Oh, the companion is like, oh, for God's sake. Really? It's it's so. It, it does have a from... few lines as well. You know, like um, Richard always says about that line in 
at, at the end of Fantastic Beast three, when someone says, "I couldn't have done this without you," and that person hasn't done anything, and it's like <laughs> literally they've just gone. What do people say at the end of films? They say that we'll put it in. It doesn't actually. And she has a couple of lines that they've given her, um, the companion of Grace, Daphne Ashbury. I think it's quite good in it, but um, where it's like oh, that, that doesn't really make any sense what she's saying. It just sounds cool. It sounds like a cool line to say. So they've put that. Yes. In. But they were trying to set. They were desperately trying to sell this to an American audience Very as well. The Daleks. When I recorded this off the telly, I missed the pre the pre credit sequence, short pre credit sequence, and the Daleks exterminate nice. the master. Yeah, and they sound weird. They haven't got the technology to do the Dalek voice, so they sound like they've just sucked a helium balloon and gone exterminate. Isn't and, that where actually you see Sylvester McCoy, his doctor, being actually shot in that? That actually, so that's another thing that's that's cut is the oh. companion. Um, can't think what the the young guy's name is, but you know he starts these with two two friends they both get shot in the uncut version in the other one they just disappear and sylvester mccoy gets shot oh. and which doesn't really make any sense it's like well where did they go um so they they made a few few edits to it but yeah i think even sylvester i was pleased to see him back but sylvester mccoy said he shouldn't have been in it and when it comes to the reboot um and I really love how Russell T. Davis is very hands-on you you get the feeling that he would just give interviews on Doctor Who forever he just loves it um, when they did the confidential show, which was the making of show afterwards, he just said, "Look, I'd love to have had Paul McGann at the start of the reboot, mm -hmm. but you can't expect a new child watching this to follow an, a character for ten minutes and then they they die, they get hit by a bus, and then and then it's Chris Records. Then you've got to think of it as a new program." Um, and and he was right, you know. So um, I think that that informs it when it comes back. I think, and it's definitely got more more. UK, I kind of yeah. So I did not like like you into that. I did not like that poem again. Um, iteration. However, it's when in that precursor, well, fiftieth anniversary. It's we're jumping a bit here, but it's kind of like it does chronologically almost. It's before the War Doctor. It's before the There's a ten minute well, little short with Paul McGann reprising is, as well, yeah. and how he yeah. transforms into the War Doctor. Comes the fifty hours of John Hurt, but it's so written so well. He's mature, he's comfortable in the role, he's everything you want to be. And I'm thinking, good God, if only we'd had him then, now as this Doctor. And it's well, perfect. you might do because have you heard this rumor that Disney Plus are looking because Disney Plus are, are co-financing um, the the show now yes, in 2023, yeah. and they're looking at ways to exploit the franchise as they obviously would, and what spin-offs they could do. And there is apparently serious talks about doing the missing Paul McGann years, but doing that, it. He's the uh, right. And, age, and you actually I go well. with with him as an older guy and just doing it. It kind yes, of makes sense because we don't know how long he he stayed as the Doctor for. Um, yeah, true, you true. could actually do that and do it from a very. Um, not do the tone of the 96 TV movie, but no. do a, a, a sort of completely different tone. <laughs> <Learn our> lessons. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, I, he was just, he'd been that 10 minute little episode. It's just absolutely, if only we had that. Um, so no, it's not. And that, that was a great thing that they did for the 50th anniversary. Cause I think yeah. nobody really knew that was coming. And then they almost no. just dropped it on iPlayer. And it was like, Oh wow. We, we thought this was the only time that we saw him. And now we go back and get this extra little, little bit of him and he has actually last year was in uh, the Jodie Whittaker finale as well 
So, um, yeah, it's been we, good to have uh, back. Should we talk about the 50th anniversary? That was 10 years ago now. Do, do you, uh... should, we, should we do the, well, should we, should we go in that chronological then? Should we do the War Doctor? So we've always, yeah, I, we I, I was saying that at that point, Russell T. Davis didn't want to show Paul McGann generating into um, Christopher Eccleston. Incidentally, there is a panel that is shown. So they, they drew this in the for the comics, that there's always been a comic strip in Doctor Who Weekly. And they, they Russell T. Davis said, do you want to show it in comics? So they drew it as part of the final um, Paul McGann comic. But then there was an issue that you're not allowed to show one doctor before the other they've got to appear on screen first before they you know you can't debut the ninth doctor before he's been on tv and you can't show paul mcgann no, afterwards sure. so the the panel exists and if you buy the graphic novel they've got it but it wasn't published at the time but th we assumed that paul mcgann did generate into christopher Eccleston. when we get to the 50th anniversary we discovered that there was an incarnation in between yes which is the war doctor played by william sure. hurt so, I mean, this does tie in. Oh, yeah, sorry, Joe. Go ahead. <laughs> I I'm going to say William Hartnell. I was thinking William Hartnell. I wouldn't say William Hartnell. I was actually shocked because I thought, no way. It's absolutely drawn up as a. This yeah, it was a draw. Yeah, yeah, it was. Great way to shock someone in a show that's full of shots to go, oh my God, I didn't see this coming. It was, no. yeah. Um, I went to see the cinema, actually. It was oh, a man. bit, I got to say, it was. One of those perfect kind of... It's the hardest trick to pull. Kind of, I, mean, I think it was the era of Matt Smith at this point. He was actually... Yes, it was, yeah. So we'd already had a, the reboot already in the works with Eccleston, Tennant, and, uh, and Smith, obviously. So, but it was so it was already riding on a quite a high. But then how do you not screw up, which is the biggest challenge of all, a 50th anniversary landmark case, and you've got to observe the past and all that, and... I, I've got to say how he pulled it off. He's one of those, he was probably proud to this day, actually, that he actually pulled off that writing assignment, quite honestly. So, um, John Hurt, you've got uh, Matt Smith, and you've got David Tennant, who seems to be quite a good mainstay and bouncing between two doctors. So, um, And, of course, as you hinted, a bit of a surprise appearance by tom baker himself obviously so it, Which it would have been would have been a surprise if tom baker hadn't blurted it out in an interview to chris evans like three days before but it's so you know it, it was nice to have him back as as no. the curator the mysterious yes. curator at the end um yeah it really delivered on the effects we also got a little glimpse of um the upcoming doctor at that point peter capaldi oh so yes his eyebrows. Just see, see his eyebrows as a little little thing the other thing that really worked very well for this is it's sort of the start of well, I suppose it had been there, but they really took advantage of the social media thing. So the 50th anniversary happened to be on the Saturday, which is when Doctor Who was always broadcast at the time, which hasn't happened for the 60th anniversary, so they've done something slightly different. But the idea of calling it the Day of the Doctor, and then that was kind of the thing of this is the Day of the Doctor. It was sort of a, a title that made sense in-universe and, and sort of from afar as well, from a sort of acknowledging it as a fictional thing. So it was a really bit, and like you say, that uh, this is towards the end of Matt Smith's third tenure. So oh, it's yes. really at a high, high period. I think as well, they apparently they did um, talk to Eccleston about coming back. He probably wishes he did because he went and did Thor the Dark World and apparently didn't have a great time doing it. Nope. Um, but uh, this was at a point where he didn't really want to talk about Doctor Who, but he did apparently meet uh, Stephen Moffat to consider it and he read the script. 
Um, and I think that's where the idea for the War Doctor come in. Um, oh. But the thing at this point is that although we've had those specials, the three Doctors, five Doctors, even with the five Doctors, William Hartnell is played by a different... William Hartnell's act, um, Doctor is played by a different actor because William Hartnell's passed on. And I think they realised that obviously all these actors are getting older now, so you could bring them back, but there's a problem. But there's also a problem in the story that if you've got... If they'd have done the the eleven doctors, it just would have been too much. So the idea of just getting Eccleston, uh, getting Tennant back with Smith, having them as double act, and then having John Hurt, it sort of seemed like a masterstroke, really. And it's yeah. it's still it's still consistently voted one of the the favorite favorite episodes of all time. And if I have a look at my 60th anniversary uh, thing of issue of Doctor Who magazine, it is in the top. 10 at number five so very popular very popular oh, yeah it's um yeah i and uh, it was just a master struggle play between the an older version of yeah. of the doctor it could have that because you've got so many different aspects of the the gravitas and a kind of kind of very solemn figure but then you've got this as we had the reboot with a more playful younger vibrant doctor um um so i mean we're Guess well, we'll, we'll veer to the you know when, when Eccleston started. The I mean it'd been how many years since the well, it began it was six ninety six. So it's been on. So at this point, it's been off air for um, nine years. But I mean, in two thousand and four, there was a lot of fuss about them, them filming it because obviously, I think the other thing is with the ninety six movie, it's a really difficult franchise to do one episode of and go this is what doctor who is because i think the thing with doctor who is it can be anything to an extent you can go all over the place all over the universe tell different types of stories within that um so they this really gave them a a sort of chance to say right we're going to do 13 episodes it was a big sort of deal at that point when the uk we just do six measly episodes of a lot of stuff and to put quite a big budget behind it at that at that point um and also, it was considered a bit of a joke, this show. So when this was first announced by the papers, it was like, oh, uh, Paul Daniels is going to play the lead role, all these sort of like <laughs> light entertainment stars. And then when they said Christopher Eccleston, who was sort of known for Shallow Grave, Let Him Have It, um, Our Friends in the North, really sort of heart cracker, you know, really hard-hitting yeah, yeah, um, British things. And he'd been in a, a, a Russell T. Davis drama called The Second Coming, Oh yeah, um, which was so they they had um, a, a relationship, and apparently Russell T Davis said he didn't approach him. Chris Eccleston said, "I I'd, I'd be quite interested to see um, how you write your scripts for children." Because obviously, the idea of Russell T Davis writing this when he, the thing that he was known for most of all was a, a series called Queer as Folk, yeah. um, which was sort of a landmark in in gay representation in, in TV drama in the in the UK. Um, so the idea that these very serious sort of artists of dramatists coming in and doing this show really made people go, oh, this isn't going to be the thing that we've been deriding since the 80s. This is actually going to maybe have something to it. Although that, that the you know, sort of taking the mickey out of it went on even until it, it first aired and then people got it. But I think as great as, as Tennant is... I still wonder if it would have worked bringing him back because he it comes back and he's a very much a wounded character, this Doctor. Mm. So there's been a, a time war that has meant 
all of his his planet and his people have been eradicated they've died in this war and he doesn't want to talk about this he's he seems very angsty which Eccleston obviously plays brilliantly and and you know he's carrying the weight of that and it, it just makes him feel like a very grounded character he he also plays it without the received pronunciation accent so he plays it in his um his own sort of northern accent which is a joke in the first episode if you're an alien how come you sound like you're from the north and he says well most planets have a north which is a, a great like sort of throwaway line just to, to deal with it but also he's his um costume is stripped down that he's just got yeah. a battered leather jacket cashmere jumper and and jeans and actually if you're a traveler which is what the, the character essentially is then that's that's what it would be and actually to, to credit sylvester mccoy there is a line that he says in one of the dvds that i've seen where he he realized halfway through playing the doctor i think through speaking to an elderly relative that the doctor if he'd lived for this long would have lost a lot of people and that's kind of what he then latched onto of making him this wounded character and they really really run with that in the echoes the very short but brilliant Eccleston run that he's lost everybody you know all his companions everybody he's ever known but he meets this um young girl on a council estate not dislike not too dissimilar to 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 ace but rose played by billy piper who at this point was known as a um pop singer in the the uk but really proved herself as a a, a great yeah. actress in this show and becomes that the beating heart of the show really it's it's sort of shown through her eyes and this works really well in terms of rebooting stuff that it for a new audience you're just the you're the same as as rose you're just learning about this guy at the same time as everyone else but for the older audience this is the doctor it's, it's, it's a, a really good pov and i just say yeah it's a great palate cleanser as in it's almost a blank slate, very mysterious and very solemn and sad. He's the adult, very much the adult in the relationship, and she's this kind of like new audience of, oh, who are you? Watch this world, and it's. I, I think he, his delivery he kind of makes it a bit more uh, sober. Uh, these fantastical yeah. little, you know, um, concepts, but. It does start, funny enough, with the Automons. It's the kind of the mannequins. The Automons, like, yeah. It's the kind of like very much yeah. grounded. It's like it's the mannequin you've seen everywhere in every shot window and all that. And it's like suddenly coming. I mean, they're quite scary because of so faceless and all that. But yeah. um, it's kind of like the fantastical, just bridging that little gap from reality. So it makes it a bit more palatable. Um, I think but... the other thing that's really genius. So, so I did rewatch Rose. Um, I was sort of going to go for the end of the world, but I went for the, the first episode, Rose, and it it's so. I think one of the things that's really genius about it is that Russell T Davis, much as he's a fan, I'm sure he wanted to stuff this episode full of stuff. He goes, right, we're introducing a new audience to a guy who can travel in a phone box anywhere in space and time. That's enough, and it's like they've just put that in. To just kind of, it doesn't run away with itself the first episode. It just gives you the basics, like we were kind of doing at the start. And even like Rose's reaction. I'm, I mean, maybe there is another one where it's done, but her reaction when she runs into the TARDIS and we actually don't get a cut this, well, we do get a cut, but it's very well disguised, that she runs in and then runs out like absolutely terrified and then runs around the box. That is how you would react. And even now, I think 
it's like how many times can you do that so sometimes i realize why they don't keep doing that but that is how everybody would react to that and i think when you're doing a fantastical show you never want to lose that that sort of groundedness that that people would be oh my god we've not not seen this before and it doesn't the physics of it don't don't make sense well, to I, mean, I, I love the audience that modern audience really just jumped on at this point it is um yeah. they don't really revisit the old ones they kind no, of like and you don't need to you can you can jump on at this point and this is a reboot that come out just before batman begins and casino royale really oh, yeah. kind of come up with that and i think as well were all of those franchises including this one they rebooted because they were struggling like they they had paint they'd almost stopped and it had ground to a halt you know you'd have batman and robin die another day and the 1996 doctor tv movie so the idea of rebooting was made sense you then got this weird kind of thing in hollywood where they were trying to reboot stuff that didn't need rebooting that i think that stopped now but there was that point you know when they did the amazing spider-man it's like can't we just have sam raimi's spider-man 4 to close yeah, this out please. so but but they were kind of i think a little bit ahead of the curve on this and it, it does really take a fan but also someone who knows drama and the industry and very much this is although it is darker it's very much focused for children as well and i think even eccleston doesn't give himself credit for this performance that he looks like a big grinning excited child in the in the moments and he he really switches between it's almost like <clears throat> sorry my voice just went up but he, it's almost like he's got like a bipolar thing going on because there's yeah. a scene where he sort of go he goes my planet's gone he's absolutely devastated and he goes never mind eh? and then sort of launches in like we've got to get this done and you can Barcelona. see everybody, yeah it's, it's... you see the reactions of all the characters around him like they feel uneasy with this yeah. that he's he's kind of hasn't processed this this trauma, and now he's just got to launch himself into this. The other thing that's constantly genius... on the run, yeah, he does seem to be constantly running away from himself. That's what the Gulf, yeah, it, it really. I think he's he's almost like the most compelling performance as the Doctor. I think the other thing that's really good about this series is that you get these these recurring characters that you have Billy Piper's um, sort of family back yeah. home, and that this the so what he does in the second episode is he takes her into the future, the far future, the end of the world. And that has more special effects. I think in that episode than the rest of the series, they just wanted a really massive one to, to, to do that with. And it ends on a really, that was the moment where I was like, this has got a lot of heart to it is they then go back to a street just in, in the UK and they're just getting chips. And suddenly after that, it doesn't seem jarring. It just feels genuinely sad that, They've seen all that spectacle, and now they're kind of there. And he's t- he then confesses to her a little bit about his planet's gone and stuff, and they seem to bond a little bit. And I was like, this is odd, because you never really got a lot of this in the old series. And this yeah. is the – I mean, you did have moments of it, but it, it's a real moment of emotion that took you by surprise. He then takes her back into the past, and you go – um uh, it takes her to meet Charles Dickens, and you get a very dark episode, which had a lot of complaints at the time. Um written by Mark Gatiss of, of League of Gentlemen fame. But after that episode, so it would make sense that he would take her forward and back to show what the TARDIS can do. He goes to take her home and realises that he's accidentally set the coordinates for the TARDIS wrong and they've skipped a year. And her family are like, you just disappeared for a year. We had no idea where you were. And the consequences of what he's done, which is one thing that 
you've never got masses of in Doctor Who. You've got, you've had it prior to this. You've had it in Genesis of the Daleks when they they look at those things. But the consequences of what he has done has taken this woman away from her family, and they didn't know where they were. Gets him a slap in the face, and it, it feels really grand. I think those episodes are really kind of um, I, underrated. I did and watch. Then, well, yeah, go on. Sorry, go on. Well, I did watch recently. I think it's when you do realize. I think it's a Christmas. It's probably towards the end of his run where he's actually Christmas invasion. She she's brought back, and then she's like, "Oh, it's Christmas." She's back with her boyfriend. She's like, "Well, you always talk about the documentism. We've got Christmas coming up," and she can't quite integrate back into her world when she sees so much. Yes, and you say, like you say, we we don't really see too much where you take these companions. He does have have an effect on them, and he just changed them. I think touched again with the Catherine Tate, you know, kind of like aspect of it, you know, which we talk about in times that they don't, they're permanently changed, and they get. It's almost a selfish thing that he does take his companions, and then he does. The consequences on them is. He doesn't really think about it, but you know, it's, it's a trouble. And th- this is yeah, I think this is where it gets really interesting. For, for me, like really delving into what this character would be in the real world. And there's a scene, I think, probably in in Aliens of London where she comes back, where she says, why don't you come over to my house and we'll cook dinner and drink alcohol? And he's like, I don't do that. I don't mix with family. And she's like, well, why don't you? That's a re- really weird thing. And he sort of goes, well, my life's not like that. And I think the thing with her coming back as well, it's almost like a little bit, I mean, I, I sort of, went off to uni and when I come back from uni I felt like like things were a little bit different because I've had an experience that my friends back home haven't had and I I knew a lot of people that went traveling and I didn't and I felt a little bit like that when they come back like oh they've been traveling and now they're back here and I feel like I'm maybe like that they want to just be back traveling all the time you know and you certainly get that um with her family that the that she feels like she wants to be traveling the universe yeah and they they feel like oh but we're just sort of left here now and there's something really uncomfortable but brilliant in that observation I think and, and the parallel um, I mean I could talk about this all day the, the the thing that you get after that is you then get a Dalek episode and what they do here much like they've been doing with the Doctor himself is they make the do- the Dalek genuinely terrifying by not having an army having one just making yeah. it unkillable. And it really works so well. There's and when you watch that one back, that they suddenly there's no humor in it. They don't have any humor because humor humor makes it lighter, right? They even do get the sucker, which is a thing that everyone laughs at. It's a, a sink plunger to kill someone in the most horrific way. It probably looks a bit bad now because it's 20 years ago. But they sort of laugh and go, What are you gonna do? Sucker me to death. And then it reaches out and crushes someone's face in CGI. And you can't imagine that if that was anything other than a Dalek, you'd get away with that at five o'clock in the afternoon. And they it really, it really as a massive fan, you know that I'm a massive fan of the Terminator and Alien, which are these one unstoppable things. That that episode is unashamedly going that's the template for this we're going to make the dalek feel like that like well, it's the thing yeah. of nightmares that you cannot stop and they really gonna, it really works well i forget it's probably you keep this all that old adage you know a uh, hero's only as good as the villain that he faces and i think it is i think you know credit to the dalek and that concept it's, it's basically what periodically grounds this doctor as light as it can get and as flippant about and he, and almost the doctor seems unstoppable himself until he becomes 
I mean, the Dalek throughout all the incarnations, they tend to be the most scariest stories. Um, well, even in the, I did watch, I think they recently re re released the uh, colorized version of the Daleks, which is a yeah. the William Hurtnell um, episode, which I just recently saw. Looks beautiful in color, but again, it stops on quite a lot of cliffhangers where you are just this one Dalek act, almost meeting someone who in a trap corridor somewhere, and the only logical conclusion that they're going to be killed, and, and just you know without any hesitation, and and. And it's they kind big... of are based on the Nazis, aren't they? Yes, that, this is yeah, the that thing. design. And, There's a lot of that iconography. The, yeah. the series, I think Russell T. Davies said this, and certainly Peter Capaldi, that the show is steeped in death. And I think Capaldi said, I don't talk about this much because it's not great for the marketing of it. But it is kind of a weird property because it's a children. it is sort of a children's show, but it's also got a lot of people that die. And a lot of my nightmares about I think growing up weren't just the cliffhangers. It was characters that would die because they're particularly back in those days they were just disposable we don't need this character again let's just get have them killed you know that didn't apply to the doctor or the companions but the um other characters that would appear i remember distinctly in the remembrance of the daleks a soldier being exterminated and being thrown against the wall and that i found terrifying at the, at the time yes um, um i did I, I like for me i think it's the tom baker uh i think genesis of the daleks is when he actually it's one of those big conundrums of time travel if I had the opportunity to go back and stop their creation, well, do I do it? But then if I do everything that they impacted and influenced, all the civilizations that rose and fell because of them, that changes. And it's one of those things I can't go back and change something differently as much as I would love to, you know, put an end to this. So it's kind of this, their locked relationship between it. So um, mm. it, it, it tends to be a lot of the highlights of, you know the quandary of uh, of time travel and consequences, but uh, anyway, well, yeah. What like I was saying with Eccleston, it was I think it was a very short run. Uh, it was the Christmas episode. I think he actually, I was just watching recently where he, I, it is actually, he, I think, I think yeah, he saved. I, I think he's poisoned or something like that, and it's radiation or whatever it is, and he's absorbed a lot of it, or whatever it is, and then it becomes basically. David Tennant at that point, and it's um, and he's a for that episode, he's kind of like it's a Christmas episode, it's kind of asleep for a lot of the episode, but he's in his pajamas, he's asleep. So it's and then Billy Piper's taking him to the home, and it's just you know, it, it becomes almost a family EastEnders comedy drama at that point because they've just got someone in there. A lot of it's based in her in her flat, basically, and with her mum, and um, yeah. so it's it's um. The Sycorax um, outfit is very, very good in that as well, I think. Um, it's quite quite a good makeup effect. I think at the time, there was a lot of talk, I remember, at the time of going, oh, well, and I think because Eccleston was so great and Tennant wasn't yeah. really known, he'd done things like Casanova, and he's in um, mm. uh, Jude, the adaptation of Jude the Obscure, in one scene with Eccleston as well, um, and Kate Winslet. But um, he wasn't really a known actor, and I think people were saying, well, replacing the lead is quite... A dangerous thing forgetting that it worked under the classic yeah. era um but the idea is to sort of remove him from the drama for most of it so we're for, again like we were saying with Troughton we're, we're kind of we're familiar with the other characters and then by the time he comes back we really kind of need him because we're in yeah. trouble without him um so it it kind of it I think it does work he's definitely a lighter doctor and there are definitely comparisons I think with you know Hartnell Troughton um yeah. and I 
Tennant as well. I think he's sort of goofier in his first series and gets gets darker as it goes on. And a lot, I think that works quite well with most of the doctors as well, that they often start that way and get darker. Yeah. yeah. Um, some of them do it in reverse. Apparently, Colin Baker wanted to do this, that he wanted his doctor to be um very much like the Hartnell one that he starts off grumpy and then softens up so to do it the other way but he never really got a chance to realize that because they axed him before yeah yeah but but both kind of work i think if you've got some kind of kind of arc but he's still damaged by the time war i mean the thing with with rose the doctor the the companion had never really been a romantic interest and in the eccleston series there are lines where I think the police in the the aliens of London, the police come in and say, oh, we found the woman who's been missing for a year because that's another consequence as they reported her to the police. And when the police are taking statements, they say, so is this a sexual relationship? And he looks mortified and goes, no, and looks really awkward. And she just looks annoyed, like, no, like everyone thinks that. And they kind of constantly have this thing of batting away, no, we're not a couple, we're not a couple. And then as the series goes on, you really feel like you really buy that there is a connection with them you really do believe that there is a connection with them and actually tenant coming in often replacing one actor when you've got really good chemistry doesn't work but actually replacing with tenant who is nearer to her age actually makes it feel like even more so that they are are a couple even though they're not explicitly so yeah um and even to the point that there's an episode where she starts saying are we just going to settle down are we going to get a mortgage and stuff like that i think it's the impossible planet and and he's kind of really considering it at this point and by this point i think when they said this in the episode they just announced in the press that billy piper was leaving they probably knew for the whole series but they thought we don't want to let let them know another lead actors leaving but it works brilliantly um the the final episodes of that series where you get a dalek cyberman team up well not team up because they're fighting each other but for the first time, all that is is set against each other. So you've got these these big effects and stuff. But then it ends with this really devastating thing that they are separated in different time zones oh, yeah. forever, yeah. seemingly. And that is, I think that's probably one of the most memorable moments of modern Doctor Who. Um, that moment on the on the beach. And they even revisit it in Journey's End. And it's all one of those things where you go, this doesn't work as well as the original ending. Um I know why they they wanted to bring Billy Piper back for a bit, but that final ending was so gut wrenching, and again, I think really took people by by surprise um, at the time. I, I mean, um, he did then. I mean, the companions that followed, he actually did Martha and so forth. He actually, uh, I mean, and Catherine Tate, of course, he did make quite a good. He had a different relationship. He's like, he doesn't really want a heavy relationship. He doesn't want any get in romantically bobbed he just wants a mate and it works really well this with both those companions just a kind of like a platonic relationship yeah. and it well with, with Adjuman as well with um with uh who, whose um sister is uh guguma batha raw as well by the way who i always thought they would maybe keep her on as the companion if yeah. catherine tate hadn't been on that he'd then go off with her sister and that would cause some tension or something but with um martha she really like you know she seems to have romantic feelings towards the doctor but she knows yeah. he's hung up on yeah. on rose so that the um that that sort of element of the the drama in series three is to do with like an unrequited love isn't yeah. it and then she actually gets strong enough to walk off in the, the the end of the third series and then you get Catherine tate back who had been in a previous 
um, episode, and it's very much a platonic mates relationship yeah. that works really well. So he's got three very different companions, and it work. They all work works really well. well out there. He's, a, he's of course as well got Kylie Minogue for one Christmas special, Voyage yeah, of the Yeah, I forgot that. Yeah, which was kind of that was really the height of um, the, the sort of power maybe of that initial series. I think even Russell yeah. Tobey's in that that episode, but it was quite a long episode, and it was. I remember that the idea of just having Kylie Minogue in a Doctor Who Christmas special, you think this would have been inconceivable years ago because the show was a joke. And at this point you go, yeah, this is the biggest thing on, on UK it, it's TV. It's very much the I think, Britpop culture. It was riding that wave <laughs> around that era, basically. Well, for the in the UK, yeah, I was thinking this earlier. Like it really, I got really sort of nostalgic watching some of the this stuff because I haven't really watched it since... I probably watched it two or three times a week back in the day. And then I've always tried to keep up with a new incarnation. So I haven't been going back watching it. So maybe it's the first time in 13 or even longer than like 18 years I'm watching some of this stuff. But I watched it a lot at the time. And it kind of defined, in the UK, for sci-fi fans, I think it really almost defined the late noughties in the way that the MCU did for everybody in the 2010s. Like this just seemed like the 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 thing that you had to, yeah. to watch. It cool and it thing. was very much what Richard was saying earlier. I think it's very much tailored to a UK audience at this time. There's a lot of UK in jokes and stuff. Um, and, you know, and, and there's a bit, a couple of spin-offs under this um, oh, yeah. era as well that you Torchwood. get Torchwood, um, which after a shaky series one, which has a mix, there is a sexy cyber woman episode, which is just an odd thing because the Cybermen that completely goes against what they are. Um, but the, I, I watched the start. I wasn't going to watch any torture, but I watched the, the first episode of series two because I do remember that one. They've got James Masters in it. And it's at the point where they've they've had Captain Jack Harkness, played by uh, John Barrowman, started in an Eccleston story, left, and then come he comes back for the end of series three. So he leaves, he disappears at the end of series one of Torchwood. They hear the TARDIS materialise and he disappears. And that is hit, linking him going into Doctor Who and then coming out again. Series two starts with them going, where have you been? And they're operating as a four now. Um, and I mean, it's, it's extremely violent for, for Doctor Who spinoff. I think at this point they started doing cuts of it pre-Watershed cuts because they wanted to just oh, yeah. maximise the audience, which were ridiculous because... Think it would cut in the middle of a shot, and suddenly someone would just be covered in blood. And you go, that doesn't <laughs> even make any editing sense. They didn't film film alternative versions, but um, I think there was a mix. But that one in particular, I think there's an episode where Gwen, who is very much the Rose of Torchwood, played by Eve Miles, she's the grounding of it. It starts off with a as a police officer, and then she gets sort of brought into it. There's an episode, I think it's episode four of season two, where her husband works out what what she does for a living and they just have an argument they just have like a, a proper blazing argument and he's going i don't even know what you're doing she goes i hunt aliens and there's just like a a, a, a pause and then he says f off <laughs> and you go that's what it would be like like if you're going to ground this that's what it would be like and she is the key to that they then went and did a series on bbc one of over five nights because they they were sort of getting stripped down, called Children of Earth. And this is a very, again, very low budget. Peter Capaldi is in this as well, but oh. not as a Doctor Oh, he, as to he appears in Doctor Who and then appears in Torchwood. Yeah. But the idea oh, wow. of Children of Men, I haven't watched it for a long time. It's very 
very disturbing is the aliens have come down and they've gone you need to sacrifice i can't remember if it's 10 percent or 50 percent of your children we want and there's scenes where the kind of governments are kind of working out who are we gonna sacrifice the aliens because if we don't we're all dead and it, it's just like the darker it i just remember going geez this is grim but it's really good it's very very good it's probably more in, in it's definitely more its own thing then rather than a doctor who thing and it, it's got little references they then did a sort of co-production with the us i think again with stars called miracle day which was season four and uh mckay pfeiffer from eight mile is in it um and the idea behind it, again, this was on BBC One, I think it was in the Matt Smith era, and there's not really any crossover with Doctor at this point. The idea is that nobody dies anymore. And the implications that has for Earth if nobody dies and the population just keeps going up and up and up. And that sort of ties in with Jack Harkness, that the character, because at the end of the Eccleston era, he gets resurrected by TARDIS energy that, that Rose brings into play and he now can't die but i would say torchwood sort of gets better as it goes on it's worth a little look and then you also have a children's spin-off the sarah jane adventures on cbbc that that tenant turned up in and matt smith for for one episode which was sadly um that the the fifth series i think there was six planned stories and elizabeth sladden just suddenly died in in the uh, she had a short illness and and Biden there could only complete three stories, but I think they would have carried on with that series mm. if it if it wasn't for that. But they'd they'd attempted a series called Canine and Company um, after the Tom Baker uh, years, which didn't work. And I think this was a way of rectifying that, and it, it worked. It was yeah. quite popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While we mentioned, I mean, Canine was, I think they um, he proved so popular and a huge merchandising appeal again during the yes. Tom uh, Baker era, but. They found out because he basically was cleverer than the top and he had all the gadgets. There <laughs> yeah. was no challenge. So they always found like, excuses of, oh, K9, oh, he, he, he's, his voice circuit's broken again. He'll have to stay in the TARDIS just to give Doctor Who something to do. And actually, oh, that's, he must go off with, oh, no, he does go off with Sarah Jane Smith. Yeah, like, when, when did they write him out? Though? But yeah, that's, yeah that's well, even one. during the Tom Baker, they slowly said, oh, stopped using no, no, him. you need to stay in the TARDIS. Because it basically just uh, was able actually, to do that's a good point. Yeah. With the Tom Baker one, I rewatched, um, or I, I think I have seen it before, but City of Death, and it, I think it's quite good. I know it's it's the one where they go to to France, but it, it, oh, I yeah, think it's quite France, a good yeah. a good story, and it's quite different kind of story. It's like a heist sort of yes. thing, um, it's and very, it's well very... written. John Cleese cameo, but there's a moment where yeah, Tom Baker goes into the TARDIS and just says. Oh, K9, how are you doing? Yes, you never yes. see him. You never I, see him. They just sort of. Or he, why is, I think so. Episode, he's just basically walking out and said, Oh, no, he's, he's, he, he's, his circuit's gone awry. Then he <laughs> oh, I'll fix him later. But any, well, I just saw excuses to leave him there. But, uh, uh, but yeah, like you mentioned, the uh, City of Death, uh, I think you recommended that. So I did watch it. And it was, that's, that's a very good story. Again, it's a, like I said, it's a heist, but it, it takes over the time of, the whole history of man. In fact, this high story, the main yeah. character is involved in the creation of um, of the human uh, race because of his influence and all that. But it's big concepts, uh, but and and it gets spread over 
which they tend not to do about six or seven episodes or not, you know, on one story. I think in the later eras, it's more like one episode. They go more episodic in the, in the David Tennant era and even the Matt Smith era. It's more shorter, kind of like self-contained. But I kind of miss those big, long, long stories. But um, So we can't, well, yes, we, with Tennant, obviously, proving quite a very popular. I mean, I, as you say, riding high. And then, then how do you follow that? Well... I think with Matt Smith, it was quite a. I think they lucked out again. It's almost very similar. They know that that energy of a very young doctor. He's almost getting younger, yeah, where he's very much um, very vibrant. But I think definitely with Matt Smith, he has this kind of quality of being a very old and young at the same time, which is such a great. Kind of contrast and kind of like a good balance between all the facets of the doctor. Um, so I liked his, I liked his one as well. More credit to the him as a as an actor. I mean, some of the stories started, I think, towards the end of the era. His one a bit off the boil, but it was um, again. I, I think, I think, still riding high in that era. I think, obviously, um, I think. I think as well, that's a really good point about him being like feeling old and young at the same same time. And I think with a lot of the, whenever it comes up, who's going to be the new Doctor Who, there's often names thrown in the, the ring that I go, that's a really good actor, but they're not a Doctor Who. And it's like, I think mm. you couldn't have anybody that could play Bond and Doctor Who. Do you know what I mean? Matt Smith yeah. can play Doctor Who. He couldn't play Bond. And I think that's the same for, for all of those, those performers. The key is getting He's, that casting right, yeah. Yeah, you have um a sort of different dynamic again that he's travelling now with a woman and her boyfriend yeah. of the time. I think, or does the boyfriend come in, in in the following season more? I think it might just be the two of them travelling in the first series, and then yeah, because the it kind of like you just start, it could go either way with the romantic. Those kind of here they kind of played it since post Eccleston, they kind of like this romantic. Will they? Won't they? But they kind of veer just just about off it kind of like they're kind of like yeah because she gets well, more the, focused on the other thing that you get right at the end of tenants era um set up by stephen moffat who takes over from um russell t davis so really the the finale of tenant and and russell t davis was on new year's day 2010 it was massive and then it comes back three months later and it's basically a new show yeah. Although there is a, it's he's regenerated into Matt Smith. It's a completely different production team, um, uh, in charge, showrunner, and different cast. Um, but Stephen Moffat, who was writing under Russell T. Davis, does a, an episode called Science of the Library where they introduce the character of River Song, played Stop. by uh, Alex Kingston, mm-hmm. and she recognizes Tennant's doctor, but he doesn't recognize her. And it turns out they're married, but in a sense of the time traveler's wife they are not meeting in the same order. You know, they are meeting at, at different times in different points of life. So he, at this time, knows he is married to Alex Kingston. She comes back in in these episodes. I remember yeah. that people were really... I mean, the first one is really impressive and is is very well thought of. Olivia Coleman has got a throwaway role in the first one, which seems <laughs> bizarre now. Um, but uh, 11th Hour was really well received. The next one... I. Um, I can't remember the title of it, but it, it's sort of a really good satire on on democracy, political satire. Um, and that that one I thought was was really well written. 
Um, you get episodes like Vincent and the Doctor where they meet Van Gogh. Bill Nye is in that oh, yeah. episode, uncredited, and it deals with mental health, which we've not really seen in, in Doctor Who before. And then I just remember the, the finale on this. I think the cliffhanger of the finale is everything has in the everything in the universe has died. Everything has gone. And it goes to black and you go there's no next time show. And you're like, what? How are they gonna follow this? And this is very I think the difference between Russell T. Davis and Stephen Moffat. They're both fantastic writers. Russell T. Davis is very, is very sort of emotional, and he, he does this thing of you really love the characters. Immediately, you sort of fall in love with the characters, and you want to know what they do next. Stephen Moffat, who I knew from writing for a show called Coupling, which was often billed as the, the UK Friends, mm. it, it had six you know, really attractive lead cast members, but Coupling was very much about very clever, intricate scripts, which would all slot together at the end and you go that it's impossible to show anybody five minutes of coupling and for them to get it because the coupling works when you watch a whole 30 minute episode and you go oh my god that's genius that thing that is at the start of the episode means that at the end of the episode and there were episodes that were split screen mm. for the entire thing very very clever intricate writing and i think his his real strength is in the plots and the the complexity of, yeah. of weaving strands together and Doing something as bonkers as going, the cliffhanger is everything's dead. And you go, well, what the hell is next week going to be? You know. And then I do remember, I haven't got around to watching it yet. I'm, I'm, I'm going to. But there's the series six opener. That's the second series with Matt Smith. Thinking, oh, this is this really feels like they found their own thing to do because they they had a pressure coming back of going. We need to make it a bit like the the show that everybody knows, but we want to do our own thing. So it's sort of trying to go, this is like what you've seen before. The opener of series six is really running around in different timelines and not being stuck to that thing. Much as I like that, and I think that's important for the show, they really took advantage in that opener of going, right, we can jump from this timeline to this timeline and now take the TARDIS from here to there. And it wove something in that I'd not seen before. I think... well, I'm saying about spoilers, but it starts quite early on with the doctor seeming to be shot dead as well. Oh, yeah. you go, that's quite that's a bold right. way to start it. And now, who are we following? And kind of and like goes backwards. Remember... Yeah, it's, it's quite a bit of yeah, a mind bender and... that one, actually. Yeah. And the, who these shot things him that look like the scream from the monk painting as well. I can't think what they were called, but they looked absolutely terrifying. And I thought that's a really good cre- uh, creature creation. And at this point, it's in HD as well, which actually wasn't yeah. in most of the it other. It seems with every and incarnation, stopped... the camera gets better. The camera... <laughs> well, I think only this, the, the very final Tenant specials were in HD as a kind of wave. But the the early stuff is in, in, in standard definition. So now they've got to do that, but they keep up with it. Um, a bit more location think... shooting as well. I mean, the States, more loca- but... Yeah, really big sort of... Um, you get the impression they're getting the getting the ability to go abroad more and yeah, do yeah. shoots there, um, which is great because then you're not having to build sets, are you? You're just relying on locations. There's some really good location work in this this era. Um, and you get Amy Pond, you get an episode called Let's Kill Hitler, which mm. is a hell of a title for a, <laughs> a children's show. But I remember that being like a big thing of like, wow, yeah, what that's yeah. a hell of a, a title. Pushing, yeah. It's like cut, like push. I mean, sometimes you look, you know, as I guess of a TV where or a show where it's making headline news, it's pushing a barrel, or oh, we've never seen, and you have to tune in to watch. And actually, for a time, 
it was doing this. I mean, this show, 50-odd years at that point, doing that. It, it's, um, you know, it, it's quite a uh, credit to the writing and the creative team that you got there as a concept. Um, and then you get Jenna Coleman come in as um, Os- Oswald. No, that's not right. Clara. Clara Oswald. Clara, yes. Yes. Right, yes. Yeah. Um, Which... <laughs> Very odd, odd introduction because she's introduced as a sort of a bit of a mystery. Yes. Um, she seems the to be back in time, and then for, the yeah. impossible girl or something like that. Again, a bit it, of a mystery, it, tiny, whammy, whatever. It, it's a weird thing because it it's sort of the opposite of what they did with Rose and the Doctor mm. or Ace, Ace and the Seventh Doctor, where it's kind of like you identify more with the companion and the Doctor's a mystery. Suddenly the Doctor is the one you identify and the, the companion's a mystery. He's the mystery, yeah. I think by the time she left, they, they re- and particularly under Peter Capaldi, she feels really grounded and really works well. But I think there was a little period of time there where it felt like the writing had maybe not helped her character when she was first in Yes. Plus I think people really loved the character of Amy Amy Pond, played by Karen Gillan. I mean, what did she very, ever very go on warm, to do? Very warm, oh, very yeah, funny. Guardians of the Galaxy is what Karen Guardians Gillan of the Galaxy, that's what so. you'd know her from. Yes. Yeah, later on. Again, very good. Um, almost at the beginning, I mean, well, they have a kind of a relationship where it like spans her childhood because it, it yes, becomes yeah. a kind of like this... He's met her as a child. Yeah. It is, yeah, met her as a child. It's, it's a very, very interwine relationship and they yeah. have a huge warmth for but like you say when we have Jenna Coleman uh, Jenna, it, it's very she's coming with a bit of a colder character it's harder to warm to but then I did find a bit more touching as we because she's the one that bridges the Matt Smith and the Peter Capaldi era of course we talked yeah. about there the Doctor but then it, it, it's 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 where we kind of have a a long time fan Peter Capaldi but he's a very much the older Doctor now at this time and a very and and but it's 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 having a bit of sympathy because it's I think because I recently saw it it's where she's the bridge and then he's the one lost where he she kind of like has a phone call from this Matt Smith who's already died at this point I think or from the from the yeah. past saying the per- the face yeah. that you're looking at now is is scared and and I think she does a really good a good piece of writing it, it's like fear is is a companion it makes you stronger it makes you faster and it's really a great lesson a great piece of writing for any kid or child just like what dealing with fear mm-hmm. and especially this doctor who's who's a bit more tepid more unsure of himself peter can probably be a brilliant actor if you've seen him in um the thick of it how quite a you know, rancorous character and delivery can be. So you you're kind of expecting that that kind of fiery doctor, but here yeah. it's kind of like I think it was a bit of a too much of a bit of slow start for me. Considering Peter Capaldi, you'd already seen him in the thick of it, so it is I just wait, waiting for him to get up to speed, which he did eventually. But it's kind of like I mean, too short to run, honestly. But you know, that's what it is. I think I think it was three years. I mean, ago, I, I was. I was really shocked when they announced. I remember this. So the point when they were bandying names around for this, I remember Rory Kinnear being um, being uh, mentioned, yeah. thinking he's a great actor, but he's not Doctor Who. And there were, mm. there were all these names put forward, yeah, yeah. And, and I none of them clicked for me. And then when they said Peter Capaldi, my first thought was, but he's been in Doctor Who and yeah. he's been in Torchwood, particularly in Torchwood. He's he's like in the whole thing, and it's a very memorable performance. I mean the the final scene that he's got is 
chilling really um and and then you go so he can't be in it because he's been in it and then you go that would be perfect that he would be a perfect doctor yeah, and it's yeah. worked really well for both things i think eccleston and, and smith weren't weren't fans and they don't have to be tenant and capaldi are massive massive fans yeah, yeah. um and the other thing i suppose at this point Stephen Moffat is also writing Sherlock as well, which is a massive show for the BBC. Yeah, so yeah. with Benedict Cumberbatch and yeah. um, Martin Freeman. Martin. So he's doing a, a lot. I'm not, yeah. you know, I, I, I just, I remember being worried at that point thinking, how can someone run these two shows and yeah. write in so many episodes of them as well? I mean, I never, um, yeah. It, sometimes the writing, it, it felt, not so so great in I think this they had very short series. runs as well i think they were kind of very it's not like when these seasons where you would you have 12 you know, earlier on here it was like it six six maybe. episodes i think i think he had he just he really did actually had as you say right I, I don't think there were, there were they short were shorter they might have been there was a lot of i think there was one where it was a three-parter and the thing with the the so i think in the russ two davis era you tended to have 10 stories three of which were two-parters, so it's 13. And they, wow. that kind of keeps the cost down because you're in a location for two episodes. And there was one that was three, three-episode story that I just felt like they don't have the money to go anywhere else. And I'd appreciate if they just did it short, did a shorter series in a way anyway. Um, there were some, a lot of them are really well considered. So Heaven Sent, which is the first basically one-hander episode, um, was voted the the, the best story of all time um on in doctor who magazine for the 60th anniversary i do feel there is something maybe towards that end of that moffat series that they keep repeating i mean they they often do and you could say it about other showrunners as well but um there is a, a sort of story with amy's husband rory that he's lived through multiple oh, yeah. so many years of just to to, to get this done and Oh, yeah. And that's kind of what happens in Heaven Sent, that to get out of this thing, the Doctor has to keep reliving this over and over again and just chipping away a little at, bit at of this, ice each yeah, time yeah, he breaks yeah. up. And you get a montage. And I did I did get to the end of it and think, I've sort of seen this before. It, it's kind of clever, but it's also like... We have it seen, does feel yeah. a bit repetitive. Yeah, sure. I think um, the sort of... the idea, I think Clara played by Jenna Common, was going to leave and then actually decided to stay on because she was enjoying it so much. I do remember as well with Capaldi thinking when they cast him, I was really shocked but surprised that they'd gone for someone so young because it had always been someone, I mean, they were getting younger, the Doctors, yeah, yeah. but they've then gone quite old mm. with, with a casting choice. And, I, you know, I was impressed by that. I was also very much a fan of Peter Capaldi in the thick of it and I couldn't imagine him not swearing for more than one line <laughs> because that's a very iconic role but, but he comes on and I think I think he gets better so I think it's the start of his second series he, he's got mm. like a guitar and he's almost yeah. like playing like an aging rock star and you think well that feels like he's added a bit more of his thing to it it doesn't yeah. feel like he's got enough of his own stamp on to start with mm. but i think maybe if he just started off with a rock guitar I'd be like who is this guy you know he was matt smith a little while ago so it, it's a difficult balance it his tenure ends with a story called uh twice upon a time where they hit on the idea of getting david bradley to play the first doctor david bradley a brilliant actor and he played william hartnell in um ostensibly a, a 
little biopic about um, yeah. William Hartnell for the 50th anniversary yeah, yeah. Um, about his time leaving Doctor Who. And they suddenly went, well, we could just get this guy in. And I haven't seen it for a long time, but I think it fills in the gaps of the episode, his Penalty episode that he wasn't in because he was ill. So they kind of explain away why he wasn't there. He was with Peter Capaldi at this point. So it's a really nice way of bringing that that round and for a fan like Peter Capaldi to have him playing opposite um, the Doctor. And we get uh, Missy in this this era, played by Michelle Gomez, is a sort of um, gender-swapped version of uh, the Master, and she plays that that very well. I, I, I kind of, of course... Missy was uh, again a Scottish actress, but she was quite. I I I was thinking there was a bit of rumors about a female doctor, and I was thinking I would love her to be a female doctor because I think, like you said before, it just comes down to the casting. It, it's very hard to find the right actor for that role, and it's I I mean well here in this she's Missy she's kind of like. A version of the master, I think, or, or something similar, but I'm not sure. But I was thinking, wouldn't it mean a great idea if actually she's actually the next incarnation of the she of the doctor? Because she doesn't know. There's a bit of a mystery by her. He keeps her in a locked up for some reason for her own good, but then she's kind of like he's he's trying to help her, but uh, he's very scared of her at the same time. And but I was thinking, what if she? Turns out to be well. There was this concept of the Watcher, which I think came out again with Tom Baker, where the next I think it got explained maybe in in a radio in an audio version where where it's the next psyche of the next incarnation of when you come to the end of your um of your era or and you're going to regenerate to the next one. It's the it's the version of the future one which is watching and will will be your future doctor. So I was thinking they, they have they did the, the, I mean they did it for the Peter Davidson yeah. Tom Baker era. And I think they did it for the I think the John Pertwee era where I think there was this Tibetan monk who said, Oh, I'm 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 from the future Oh, I think Doctor accidentally dies. He dies a bit prematurely before his regeneration. So uh, one of the monks uh, ends up in the sitting room and says, "Oh, well, actually, I'm a time lord, uh, and uh, but I'm retired, whatever." And he says, uh, "Well, um, I'll just kick, char- I'll just kickstart your regeneration." I think then he kickstarts the regeneration of, I think John Perry into Tom Baker. But it kind of, it's that concept of uh, your future self waiting in the wings. So I was mm. thinking, ha. Huh, if they, because there was a bit of talk even then about who the future doctor and it could it be a woman and maybe it's about time it was, and I thought that I just thought my God, she's bang on perfect, and I think no one would have had a problem with her quite honestly. Do you know what, Jason? Even though you have done a brilliant segue into Jodie Whittaker, can you please allow me a little diversion just to to do, say something? Time. Oh yes, yeah, go sorry. ahead then. So, can't believe I'm going to do this, but. So they did a weird thing with Colin Baker as well, where in Trial of the Time Lord that he has a um, there's a point where they say this guy is the halfway between your eleventh and twelfth regeneration or something odd like that. So they have done that, and you don't have a consistent approach to regeneration throughout the classic era. I think they always want to do something new, 
And then I think in the, the the newer era, in the Russell T Davies era, they said they wanted to make it exciting. So he's always stood up because actually the the John Pertwee to Tom Baker one, you think that should be the pinnacle of it, but he's just on the floor, isn't he? And they just do a basic transition, I think. Maybe they've put a bit more of an effect on it now. Um, okay. So you have had that, but at the point where Matt Smith approaches the end of his life, we believe this is all 13 generations now because you've had um, the eight Doctors that appeared in the classic era. So that's eight, obviously. Nine, we now know, is the War Doctor. War Doctor, yeah. Ten is the ninth Doctor, Christopher mm-hmm. Eccleston. Yeah. Eleven and twelve are Tenham because the end of uh, the Stolen Earth ends with David Tennant regenerating. So the cliffhanger of his final story of of the final story of series four, he's he sees Rose at the end of the street, runs towards her, they're reunited, and then just as they're about to hug, he gets shot by a Dalek, and then he gets dragged into the TARDIS by Rose, Donna, and Captain Jack, and he's said, and Jack says, "Get away! You know what happens next." He glows yellow and goes, "I'm regenerating." And regenerates into the camera and it just comes up to be continued. No next time sting. This made the news in the UK. People genuinely thought that Tennant was regenerating. And everyone was like, look, all the old actors are back. That's to make the transition. Nobody knows who the new Doctor is going to be. When Journey's End starts, the regeneration energy stops and Tennant is still Tennant. And he's he's put his regeneration energy into the hand that is cut off in the... Uh, Empire Strikes Back yes. style sword fight of the Christmas Invasion. So he is actually the 11th and 12th generation uh, uh, of the original. And then Matt Smith is meant to be the final life. 13. And he gets more lives lives granted to him. I always thought <laughs> they should have done a series without the Doctor. They should have actually done a series where he's, his energy is being like taken, like in the TV movie, and go, oh, the Doctor's not here anymore, and just made it a sci-fi show. And then suddenly brought in a new actor and sort of gone, we had a Doctorless series, or maybe one episode, but they didn't do that. And I can't really remember how he even regenerates into Peter Capaldi, because at this point he's meant to have 13 lives, he's not meant to have another yeah, one. To be, yeah, exactly. But he kind of ju- jumps back in. But then this this is potentially, well, no, he would be on a 13 life gener- generation cycle, but whether Hartnell is the first Doctor or not, that's something else we come to in the next iteration of the show. Yeah, it was a bit of a leap to try and rewrite. So suddenly now, because of the services, you've been granted another 13 generations. Like, hmm, okay. Um, there was a bit of running well, tension. Just, you're thinking, God, how, many li- how many lives has he got left? And, thinking, and then it does have a weight. Every every death now does, and every action becomes more weightier. And I think this is kind of like this 13th Doctor tour. It's kind of like... There's always this background. As someone, as someone point, I think um, Stephen Moffat said when they they did the War Doctor thing, said the Ninth Doctor isn't really the name of the character in the show. We refer to it as the Ninth Doctor, and we mean the ninth lead actor to play the protagonist yeah. in the show rather than than that. So, but it's just a, a an extra extra layer of it. But um, so so Moffat then leaves the show with with Peter Capaldi, and we get the first woman doctor in Jodie Whittaker who had appeared alongside David Tennant in Broadchurch and she'd been in things like the wonderful Attack the Block with um, oh, yeah, Attack the Block yeah yeah Attack the Block which is a really good show 
a really good film um and a thing called adult life skills and she's i think she's got that um she she's definitely sort of got the quirkiness i was kind of shocked that they they she sort of plays it with um uh, the the sort of northern accent that she does but i mean eccleston did that as well and i think it works works very well for, for the show she's sort of almost like a, a cross between david bowie and victoria wood i think in this yes. and i do i do think when they start i think you know that some people really don't don't like this iteration of the show um obviously there was there was a lot of misogyny around the time that she was cast though i think a lot less than you would get in other fandoms i think generally the show is is a very sort of got an inclusive uh fan base it's funny to see um headlines about the show go i mean every show goes woke that's just what everyone says about everything at the moment but um i mean you had captain jack as a, a openly bisexual character back in 2005 so not, not had, that uh, bill changed. potts also you know and you had uh, bill potts they, as well of course, they worked yeah. quite a really great dynamic it was a teacher mm. student yes that was and good, she was openly uh you know a gay character in that and within a second line of dialogue and it was like but no one blinked tonight it wasn't really head like it's more like oh well we, she's quite you know uh, but it, it it did add to the relationship as if it was just a very great yeah. uh, you got the older gent and then a younger lady but then how do you do that comfortably well you just have to like teacher mentor completely platonic again because of the... well they, they had to there is a line of dialogue i can't quite remember it with when Capel um smith turns into Cowdy, where they they kind of assert that this is not a boyfriend girlfriend relationship because yeah. it kind of was it wasn't they they moved away with it from amy pond they were sort of moving towards it with clara and then they had to backtrack very quickly a bit like empire strikes back again yeah. when it's like <laughs> no they, they, they were always brother and sister what are you talking about um so so yeah you do have that different dynamic and you've had different dynamics over over the years i think here you get um well i'll say i'll say i think this um this era of the show that the opener is really strong i think and it's chris chibnall was the um showrunner now who was the showrunner of torchwood the first episode is quite dark the woman who fell to earth which is a, a david bowie reference it's mm. it's referencing the, the obviously the film that he did yeah um, the nicholas rogue film yeah um but the people that she meets, it's very much the dynamic is like a family now. So it's more like the sort of TARDIS teams that you got under maybe, well, maybe with the Ponds or the Adric sort of era of, of um, Peter Davidson, uh, maybe even the Hartnell stuff where you've got an older guy who's a widowed, widowed guy played by um, Bradley Walsh of The Chase, yeah. who's a, a really good actor and star with Freeman Edgerman. actually and, how good he was, actually. Out of all of I think he was... But because we know him here more a TV television presenter, quite honestly. But yeah. I gotta find out the companions. He was one of the better actors out of all of them uh, in, in this series, anyway. Um, and and then you have uh, Yasmin Gill, who was um, in Hollyoaks. Who? Oh yeah. Um, no, not Yasmin Gill, because that's her. That's What's her name. Character name, isn't that, it? That's the character's name. Yeah, sorry. Um, but you have Yaz, um, played by. Um, an actor from Hollyoaks, and uh, you have Toysin Cole as well. Um, and they sort of, yeah, act as a, a bit of a sort of disjointed family, you know. And I think there's some really strong episodes in that first series with her. There's particularly, I think, a standout is they meet Rosa Parks um, in an episode 
uh, with Rosa Parks played by Vinette Robinson from Boiling Point. That's a really good one. There's some. There, there is one in the middle that that I think a lot of people just rubbed people up the wrong way. But the the first series is is quite good. The second series, then you get a really crazy episode in the middle of the series, um, where we meet another Doctor played by Joe Martin from uh, the Real McCoy. He plays the fugitive doctor. And there is then this question of, well, where does she fit into the timeline? This doesn't make sense. We also get a reappearance of Captain Jack in that episode, which was completely kept from audiences. Nobody had any idea this was going to happen. And he hadn't been on screen for years prior to this. Um, and we get a really good new portrayal of the master as well, where he, I think, much as I really love John Sim as an actor, um, you know, he's just amazing everything. His master, I never felt like he was that disturbed. The master that we meet in the Jodie Whittaker years is just terrifying. He feels like he would actually just kill everybody, like, in the blink of an eye. Definitely um, more unhinged, yeah. From definitely Manic. unhinged. Uh, but Sasha Darwin is the actor, and he was in, um, he played... He was in a line of duty, and I'm sure they said to him, "Can you come on and be as scary as that?" And he absolutely pulls that off. Um, so yeah, that I think there's some really good um, stuff in the Thirteenth Doctor. The first couple of series, the, th the final one is kind of restricted by COVID and certainly a decreasing budget at the BBC. I think anyone in the UK knows that. Uh, the BBC is not in the healthiest place at the moment. Um, not that it's the show is entirely funded by the licence fee or something, but you can really see almost this starting to struggle with the budget um, that, that was the thing that had, had sort of become the bane of it in the, in the 80s as well. And I do remember getting to the end of Flux and just seeing some really bad CG. I mean, it's been some bad CG in, in you know, Hollywood films recently as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I thinking, I'm not sure if this is going to last much longer if they don't change the the approach here. It it but Doctor Who's in a tricky place anyway right now because even with Peter Capaldi, great an actor is. How do you you had a great run from Eccleston onwards and riding a high, and then he said, "Well, what's the you know you can't keep getting younger and how do we change things up? How do we keep it fresh and?" It's a bit of a difficult place for it. You'd have to to mine a new era for a new generation because uh, you know, even from what from the Eccleston era, it's 10, you know, 15 years. And like, how do you, for a new generation, is like, well, what's my doctor going to be? So it's a bit of a tricky case. I, I, I do strongly feel that, like, jo I think Jodie Whittaker is a really good actor. I do think the writing kind of let her down her yeah, era because yeah. I was expecting the, the thing of them coming on being very, particularly Matt Smith's first episode. I mean, he's eating fish fingers in custard and mm. stuff. I thought they're going to start it like that and they're going to get her darker. And there was particularly a, like a cliffhanger where, or like a, an end point where I thought, oh, they're doing some heavy signing that it's going to get dark towards the end. It never did. No. And I felt like it needed that to make her, Doctor sort of really memorable for that stuff as well because she did the the light and the eccentricity and the playfulness very well but we we never really really got that um so it's sorry it's Mandip Gill played Yasmin I do think as well that the relationship that come out between those two 
felt very organic and unforced. And it was just like when they're left as the a two, when the other two companions depart, you really did feel like there was some kind of bond in the way that you did with the Ninth Doctor and, and Rose. And it's never really completely explained. And it feels quite sad that nothing does happen between them. And it's kind of, she's keeping her at a distance. And I think some of those final scenes, um, so the final episode, Power of the Doctor, is the um, bit was also a special for the BBC Centenary. So 100 years of the BBC. And this episode has a lot of returning doctors in it and their companions. So we knew that um, Janet Fielding was going to return as Tegan from the Peter Davison era and Ace was going to return as so Sophie Aldred. Yeah. But they see versions of their doctors um, projected when, when they're dealing with them and other doctors reappear. And the scene that really kind of broke me at the end of this, I mean, Yasmin and, and the doctors sat on the TARDIS sort of saying goodbye just watching the world felt very sad but you get this moment where there's a counseling session at the end or like a sort of support session um that that she's attending and when you look up it's all people at this thing it looks like an aa meeting whatever one of those is i wouldn't know but everybody sat drinking cups of tea and there's all old companions there talking about what well, we saw these wonderful things and then we have to come home and we don't know how to assimilate back into yeah. life and then the thing that really took me by surprise is someone says she and then you hear an old person say sorry did you say she and it's ian chesterton from the fir the first companion from from the day looking old but still completely identifiable as himself um and it's a really sort of like moving human moment at the end of it so i think yeah particularly the the final season wasn't wasn't sort of its finest moment but they kind of redeemed themselves a little bit in that that final episode and then this ends with um a regeneration we knew at this point that shooty gatwa was um was going to be the next doctor well i think did we know at this point that david tennant was filming again i think we did i i, I think i think I, we knew he was filming but we thought it might be a, th a like a three doctors thing so we didn't know he would be the next yeah we one. thought maybe it would be uh yeah like yeah we don't and then, I mean, because it was, it was only later on that the scheduling, as in he, because I think he uh, was some scheduling conflict, so he wasn't available. So then they brought in David Tennant, as in uh, Russell T. Davis, I think, was thinking, well, look, actually, I've got a perfect, I mean, a perfect segue. And he, he didn't even, he kind of like just almost organically thought this works. And I think it's a good opportunity, probably, was to tie up some loose ends, I think, especially with the Catherine Tate and David Tennant era, because as we come to this 60th anniversary, well, in this 60th anniversary, well, it serves like it because we're revisiting an old doctor before the new one, kind of this, this bridging almost. comes in. Yeah, I think it, it's a way of, of a sort of love letter back to those. I mean, it's Russell, he, he writes it in in his way. Everybody writes it in their own way, but he's coming back as showrunner. He clearly does love the show. In the meantime, he's done an amazing thing. I mean, it's a sin. I think he's one of the best TV shows of the decade so far. Um, he, he is a, a great writer, um, but this is very much a sort of a sequel to the journey's end um it's also obviously an adaptation of the star beast which is a 
um, Pat Mills and Dave Gibbons yep. uh, comic strip from the, the very well considered and rightfully so initial run of uh, Doctor Who comics for the fourth Doctor um, in Doctor Who Weekly as it was back then. Um, and that, that was sort of the start of their career as well. They then went off to 2008 and then yep. on to, you know, Dave Gibbons on to Watchmen. Um, and obviously they were creating at the time things that couldn't be realised on TV at the time. And they've managed in, in the Star Beast, which if we, we're sort of just doing a little review of it now, but yeah. we said on the chat, I think the, or I said, I think the, the realisation of the creature is really good. And it is yeah. a mix of a practical costume and cg effects so you get the best of both worlds and in i even listened to the video commentary on the the iplay because i'm such a geek and i haven't done that do you know what i i never even did stuff like that in the matt smith era i think i, I really wanted to support it and i did carry on watching it but i was sort of i mean mccoy was my doctor but i was really in love with the sort of eccleston tenant era and it was a joy going back. It just feels like you're straight back into it, like you said. It doesn't like, feel like, oh, and now we explain all the all no, this stuff. No, it, it just um, goes straight into it. And it, it is like they snap back into the character straight away. The energy yeah. is there. It's it's about of a quite a, about turn after the Jodie Whittaker and writing where I felt it was just a bit too chaotic. So much going on. It's best when it works as a companion, one companion and one dog, and a relationship between those two. Yeah. But that seems to be the thread of the story. As fantastical as it was, as you say, I don't think it was serviced well by good writing in that last incarnation. But then when you've seen a, a writer who does understand the characters, he's formulated there and their relationship. It does feel like, well, it, like, you know, the last few years hasn't happened. It's like, it's absolutely yeah. bang on, goes straight in. Considering the time frame of an episode, it just goes in there. But you're right. It, I think we reached a period where we, the post-CG, where we're trying to really more mature with our use of tools and a great limit, in a good thing, a limitation of budget. It does bring in inventiveness and you only yes. play to the strengths of each technology. Great puppetry, great production, and then just CG just to augment performances, but not become the effect, which it's is hugely expensive for a big production. But I think this I is always a used great to um, I used to get really frustrated when people would say, "Oh, it's all CG," and I think, "Well, I don't care as long as it looks good." And I think that's the key. But then I think when you've seen so much bad CG, and I think you don't really notice necessarily when something's good, but you notice when it's not good. Yeah. So it's only when there's a bad effect. Like even in the Marvels, there's a point where there's something that should just be green screened, and they should just but they're like in a hangar, which looks suspiciously like a hangar from Doctor Strange, and they're confronting Zor Zorashton, and it's just green screened against the sky, and you can tell it's green screened in. It's like if you just shot that outside, you wouldn't need to even green screen it. It would just be the sky, and you wouldn't question it. But suddenly you go, that doesn't. The lighting just looks a bit off. And they always say Jurassic Park, Starship Troopers hold up very well because there was a lot of practical work and then yeah. the CG artists had lighting reference that they got got right. Um, and I remember Stan Winston in the making of Jurassic Park saying, just doing CG work for the sake of it is backwards. Do it practically if you can, yeah. if you can't do it on a computer. The thing is that takes time. It takes um, people to, you know, the physical 
storage of it and the props and things. So I get why they don't, but it really plays off in this. Well, they even I, said I with the Star also... Beast, they did a, a third version, which you ne- didn't make the cut, which was when it was running, they had it. They had a version that attached to someone's legs and they would green screen the oh, actor yeah, out yeah. for close-ups. And they said they don't think any of that footage made it in. But trying those things to see what works, it takes more time, but you get better yeah. a better result wow. out of it. And I think it really looks a lot better than some work that I've seen on on um on Hollywood productions. And obviously they've now got a, a large injection of cash from from Disney Plus. Apparently not as much as a Star Wars budget, I saw them say, but they've got enough to just wow. make this work um, I think, where I think, I think they outfit sort of well they outfitted it with a great new TARDIS interior and I think it's one of the best there but I mean you, you can be as nostalgic as you can yeah. but it looks absolutely grand and beautiful it looks yeah. like Hartnell's TARDIS as well yes. they found a yeah, way a bit to of a make throwback. it look yeah. like the old one but not Those look, colors, that, yeah. look low budget in 60s like that so they found a way to have that aesthetic but go we have to have this on a massive scale because there are jokes in the first Russell T. Davis era, which I suppose we have to call it now, about um, going past the bins and that what you see on screen, it's actually bigger than what it is, but you only obviously see that. But it's it's huge, the new interior. Yeah. I, I think also maybe, you know, we're talking about practicals and the effects and the 80s. I think here, because you, with Doctor Who, you kind of have always a great performance usually behind a villain or we could talk about Davros or even Cybermen or the Master, whatever alien, it tends to have, there's always a big, because it's a bit of a more of a talky piece, a more kind of like an exchange of philosophy. So you're going to have to have an actor in there to, because it's a, a dramatic show, quite honestly, and that plays to extreme. It's not really a, you know, a big gunfight at the end. It's usually a, you know, a. Well, the doctor doesn't carry to... guns. That's another, I mean, um, we haven't spoken about yes. that, but that's, that's kind of a thing that um, is a, character point so as well it's not it? really so i think you're always gonna it works best as a practical effect with makeup and um cg when you need it but um it sounds like a quite good but they did do i noticed in an interview as well russell t davis someone said oh it looks really cute the star beast and he started going oh yeah where are the plushes where are the and i like the fact that he kept the 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 thing that if you've read the comic you know about the star beast they kind of didn't give that away. They just kind of went with it. And I thought it's kind of interesting because anyone who's read it knows what the the twist is. But um and it's a really good voice performance by Mario Margaret. Oh yeah, well. yeah, she does um, again, it, it a good really actress, a good, really good life. performance behind it. See, yeah. Because yeah. she's basically got to be two characters for that. Yes. Um and then we go into the next special, Wild Blue Yonder, which apparently there's only one shot in the, the original trailer and we've seen very little of. I I don't know. I've seen a thing where it says that they've not announced the cast list. I don't know if we're going to have returning characters though. I think that I think it's just going to be a dark, claustrophobic episode, and they're just trying to not give you any clues about it. So apparently, one of the things that Russell T. Davis particularly said when they brought it back is they would have tone meetings. So for each episode, they would say here's a word and this is what the episode is to give it that different flight. Cause the doctor's meant to go about in time and space, mm-hmm. but everything's got to then feel like we're in a different place. So things that we've spoken about with the MCU of trying to have the same tone to make it yeah. gel, they're actually trying to fight against that. And doctor, I don't think it's been like that particularly for 
the um, Moffat and Chibnall stuff, I think they've tried to make it more like a universe. But the idea of apparently the first one, they said they just wanted it to feel like a classic Who story that could be any at any point. This one's meant to be quite scary. And then the last one they say is bananas. So the last one, I'm sure obviously it's going to end with Shooty Gatwa as we go into the, the Christmas special, which is the start of the, the, the new series. And I think will be a jumping on point. I wonder though, if the final episode rather than just ending with the regeneration is going to have him maybe switching between personas or something. We've got this is the, thing I was the toy of maker for a 16th anniversary because we, it's yeah. like traditionally we have this like mentioned the three doctors or the five doctors or even the 50th anniversary where you have this interplay and i'm thinking that's the only one thing that we're kind but of missing here the, the only thing is you've had the power of the doctor and the end of that does have so you have davidson no, there's no tom baker in that but you have davidson uh colin baker sylvester mccoy paul mcgann um and then it ends with David Tennant as the regeneration. So we have had a lot of that in the power of the doctor. So I don't know how necessarily bringing it back. It. There was something that shooty so shooty Gatwa said he had, and I felt that he he shouldn't have said he probably would have got in trouble for this, but he said, I've shot a scene with William Hartnell. Don't ask me how, but I've shot a scene with William Hartnell. Oh. However, in the um it's a slight spoiler for um an adventure in time and space, but if you watch that, it ends with um the character of William Hartnell there. And as he looks up, he sees Matt Smith, who yeah. was the current doctor, staring back at him. Now, when they put it back onto iPlayer, and they had to make some edits for other reasons to do with the first story, which we haven't got time to go into, but they they thought, oh, well, that sort of doesn't make sense if we're repeating it now. So they actually replaced him with Shuti Gatwa. So he looks up now and sees the current incarnation Shuti Gatwa looking back at him. I think that's probably what Shooty Gatwa was talking about. I don't think he has shot anything with William Hartnell, although um, Jenna Coleman did. So there was an episode of the Matt Smith era where she has a scene with William Hartnell and they degrade the footage so it looked black and white. Oh, yeah. yeah and it's yeah. before he steals the TARDIS in the first episode and they use some old footage. So anything could happen. They've got a budget. Um, and I did see a comment where they were saying um, we wanted to push the the effects people more than, than possible the 50th anniversary ends with uh, matt smith walking like on a cloud and then you see stills of all the other doctors behind him which yeah, is as yeah. good as you could probably do on a bbc budget 10 years ago bearing in mind what people can do with face placement ai stuff these days you think they could definitely maybe have because because the doctors that we see in power of the doctor are aged so um, they are of their current age. And there is a thing on iPlayer at the moment for the Hooniverse, as they call it, called Tales from the TARDIS. And what that is, is they've taken adventures like The Three Doctors, uh, Curse of Fenric I watched in this, this version, and it's an omnibus version of the story, but bookended with newly shot scenes of the, doc the Doctor back then and the Companion then, or um, Companions from that sort of in a, an alternate timeline where that doctor didn't regenerate talking about their memories of that that story and then you just watch the story and then you you get a little outro as well so that's nice so maybe if they can do some cg stuff having the doctors as they appeared when they first appeared like it, it back in the day sort of looking at the youthful selves 
that will be interesting and maybe we will get that in the um in the, the giggle is the fi- the name of the final special and it's neil patrick harris playing the toy oh, maker the celestial oh, the toy, toy maker who has hasn't been seen to the 60s mm. since the 60s the episode doesn't in, exist in it, only one episode exists of it now and it was michael goff in in the 60s who went on to play alfred in the uh, Tim Burton Batman. Tim Burton Batman. Oh yes. Yeah. Um, so it. So he he looks like a sort of um, a master, but a bit of a trickster with it. So if he can pull sort of um, some kind of deceiving thing over him, this part of me thinks is is David Tennant really the Fourteenth Doctor? Was it? He's actually shooting Gatwood, but something is is being projected over him, which is to do with the Celestial Toy Maker. I don't think that's the case, though, because a lot of, um, like, a comic has been released which announces him as the 14th Doctor, so I think they're going to stick with that. And in a way, it's just a way of getting getting David Tennant back. But maybe we will we'll have some more more familiar faces. But it, it does also feel like you want to kind of look forward, not just back, I think, at this I time. I think, yeah, I think it's it's... Particularly the way it's gone, I think maybe with the fiftieth anniversary, it was riding on the the crest of a wave. So bringing oh, back a, David Tennant, a Tenet great cap on the but... past. I think it because it, it yeah. and it did a great job because it so much of it was such a memorable past. But we're kind of like more into the era post, I'd say post the classic series, more of that kind of new wave series, and it has to really evolve. It's been trying to. It has to reinvent itself when you're. Up I mean, against... if they could get, if they could get every doctor back, it would sort of be impressive. But also, like, oh well, they've just done that through CGI. Yeah. I think if Eccleston appeared, like people would just go absolutely nuts. But he he apparently sort of had a falling out with with the production at, at the time. I think he softened a lot, and during COVID, yeah. he started doing um, big finish audio plays audio? as the Doctor. Yeah. So he has softened a lot to this. And I think he realises as well, it's a way to talk about other stuff. You know, he can appear on stuff and talk about Doctor Who and then talk about other other projects as well. And I think yeah. he's, he's probably learned to love it a little yeah, bit. I, think so, I mean, that would be amazing if he comes back. I don't think that's going to happen. But will Billy Piper return? Will so I don't know how they would do that, though, how that would fit in with the story. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, I was the, surprised when she appeared in the in the 50th as well, just for the AI. It's like, I was completely shocked. Yeah, and it, but it's sort of not Rose, is it? It doesn't work. No, I mean, there are rumours yeah. that Ryan Gosling, because obviously he appeared with Shooty Gatwa in the uh, Barbie movie, mm. their mates, and apparently he is a big fan. He was spotted on set. Oh, yes. After Shooty was uh, announced as a doctor, saying Shooty is the doctor. So there are rumours about him appearing in this. I yeah, mean, I if they got Neil Patrick a Harris, point. anything's possible. So Yeah, well, it does awesome. seem quite... Again, again, with this big injection of money, it, I wonder if they'll push to this more aggressively a international or American market, especially with Disney money, because it's going to be on Disney. This, uh, right, yeah. So the in the UK, BBC retain the rights to show it across the rest of the world. It will be Disney, Disney Plus. Apparently, in Australia, people are a little bit upset about this because since the sixties, it's always been on ABC in America, in in Australia, and now internationally it is disney plus so hmm. you have to have disney plus oh, to watch it but i think that's the only way the show could survive and and i think you know it's a smart move from russell t davis to look at it this way and go look it's either going to fold i mean every 
you know, panel shows don't even get <laughs> have been canned on the BBC now. And today we've learned that uh, as we record this, Newsnight is being scaled back. And you think I don't really know what this means for the BBC other than just running repeats mm. um, long term. But you know, we can't do anything about that. So um, I think this is the right way to go for the show and just to to sort of make it evolve really and and it will bring it to a hopefully a bigger audience i'm really interested to watch shooty as a doctor as well because obviously we know him as sex ed- uh, from sex education but i think I like mean, with capaldi he's going to play it in a different he's going to play it in a different way and it'll be and i like the fact as well i can't remember that it's Millie something the actress and she's from coronation street um but it looks like they're going to have that kind of vibe from the ninth doctor and rose era of like two people traveling yes sort of, they're almost like a couple but they're not and i think that that's a, a really good thing because right. it, it's it's just too too like you say it's just two characters i think even with the the jodie whittaker thing um twisting cole's character ryan was sort of written out in the middle of the yeah, second series it, or something it, they it, kind it, of went let's scale this down because it, it's too many people yeah, so. it, it was just nothing to focus on and i think that's unfortunate it was the writing and i think that was probably part of why it kind of just people just unplugged at that point quite honestly so it was also the thing that they put it onto sunday because in the in the uk i think sundays is a, a very good um night for sort of drama, growing up drama if you like so uh we've had you know Woman in the Wall this year, Boiling Point, which I, I was saying on the previous meetup, I, I don't think they should have done this as a TV series. I've watched it now. It's one of the best TV series of the year. Very different to the film. Very, very good. Line of Duty is a huge show in the UK. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure they moved it to that for, for those reasons. But there is something about Doctor Who being on a, on a, on a Saturday, Saturday night. Saturday, yeah. yeah. And when it was reintroduced in the noughties, I mean, Saturday night was just... X Factor shows, reality TV shows, there's still an element of that now. But and people were like, "This is, it's just going to die if they put it on at this time on Saturday." But it that's where it started back in the sixties, Saturday night. They tried to kill it off by moving it opposite Coronation Street in the eighties. That was another thing with Shedlin. But I think putting it on at a proper time, so six thirty, not six, not six forty-five or anything <laughs> like that, and at, at the top of an hour or a half a hour, proper... you know solid what, time solid time for the live audience i mean we're sort of out of that now that everyone watches stuff on catch up anyway but um but yeah it's a bit of um, confidence though it kind of like this is yeah, that do you know what that's, that that's a really good point it feels like a now again it is a show that to to care about i think even getting rid of the christmas specials because they had new year specials that felt like a step down yeah. in the Chibnall years it's sort of like putting it on Christmas Day is a big show of confidence putting it on a Saturday night is a big show of confidence in it having a a Hooniverse collection on iPlayer is a big sort of um, it's about it's kind of best when it knows it should be proud of the show not ashamed and that's when it does best I think and when they put their confidence behind it and they're proud about it and it's worth celebrating people do tend to oh what is this show okay let's check it out and i think that's what happens and i think with russell t davis and david tennant because david tennant didn't have to come back and do this but he is a genuine fan you can just see that you know he's presenting documentaries and he's doing 
commentaries and behind the scenes shows and that enthusiasm and love for the show really comes across yeah. in both of those those men's sort of interviews that they do and it's very infectious as yeah. well you suddenly want to know i mean the making ofs are really candid as well they tell you everything that works everything that doesn't work everything that was made as a budgetary decision oh we wanted to do this but we couldn't do it and that kind of honesty is really like sort of you know it's really That's sort what of money of the extras we used to get on uh those a bit younger won't know but you used to get extras on some stuff called the blu-rays and dvds you used to get i remember these well you look in your history books and uh, or if you know what a book is but it is a um <laughs> they were actually fascinating and this i did and dr confidential because of, you got so much practical work actually back in and you do appreciate the craftsmanship and it is a yeah, fascinating yeah. watch which we kind of lost now in the age of, you know. I, I really agree with you actually I did see and I there was a point where I thought maybe with Blu-rays they give away too much you know the behind the scenes stuff I don't think it is I used to watch Confidential religiously and it's the long versions on iPlayer the half hour versions not the 15 minute cut down versions that, that show is kind of being rebooted now as Doctor Who Unleashed and it's really good they just even with the, there was a little um uh, children in need skit that they did with the uh, Davros actor from years ago and they're explaining why they've changed the character and you go yeah I can't argue with that that's that's absolutely the right thing to do and you understand why they've made that decision I think other franchises might benefit from this it's it's weird because we're very much even at the start of New Who actually we weren't really in the social media era everybody I know got onto um, Facebook in about 2007 so yeah. it wasn't that and and that stuff does obviously still exist, and I, I'm sure there's stuff online about it. I don't really look at it, but um, yeah, I think those those behind the scene things are really really interesting. Like you do, you appreciate the craftsmanship, like you said. Uh, wow, well, that James, went on longer than I thought. <laughs> yeah, James. Well, I think we actually are well, out of done. time ourselves. I like the good yeah. doctor. Uh, it seems an interesting turn. Um, period now to see where it goes in its own future but for now James thank you for joining me and this was our Doctor Who special and we'll see you next time we hope you enjoyed this film and TV review.com episode catch the latest film and TV reviews together with regular episode content from the world of film and TV every week see you soon would you like to reach our film and TV review podcast audience? Do you have a product or service of interest to film and TV home consumers or followers of the entertainment industry? Have a film or show production to publicize? For affordable price plans for all budgets, get in touch and find out about our introductory advertising options. Reach our audience of film and TV viewers and visit our site contact page at filmandtvreview.com or you can email us at business at filmandtvreview.com. Reach out today.